Hey, this is Alex Turcotte. Hey, this is Doc Emmerich here. Hey, this is Sean Avery. Hey, this is Jamie Baker. Hey, this is Jason Zucker. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. What is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by the man in charge, the head honcho of the East Coast Hockey League, Ryan Creelan, the commissioner of the East Coast Hockey League. Ryan, how are you today? Uh, we're okay, Frank. I hope you're doing well. Uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot going on in the world, but uh, another day to, to step forward. Yeah. And uh, work towards next season. Yeah, work towards next season. So tell our listeners how you first got involved with the ECHL and how you worked your way up. Because I know your story, but I want our listeners to know your story. Uh, sure. So, I mean, uh, I went to Seton Hall University undergrad and uh, was in the sports management program. Uh, happened to take an internship with the ECHL back in 2006. Uh, at the time, they had an employee who had graduated from Seton Hall as well. And so I started uh, kind of as a fall internship. Uh, ironically, almost didn't even take it, but uh, decided to do it and uh, worked for a few months. That turned into the second semester and uh, was fortunate enough to get hired right out of uh, university there. Wow. And uh, I guess started at the bottom, but just continued to learn and grow and, and hold different positions. And uh, here we are 14, 15 years later, um, and, you know, now in the commissioner's role. Yeah, the commissioner's role. What are some of the daily operations that come with being the commissioner of the ECHL? Well, for, for me personally, I think it's probably a little different because I've I've been with the company for so long and have held all those different roles and have been intimately involved in the day-to-day operations. And uh, at, at its core, that's, that's who I am. And so I still like to be involved in the trenches and, uh, you know, devil in the detail. But uh, at, at a high level and in the commissioner's role, I mean, our my goal or guiding star is in the best interest of the league. So that means growing the league uh, from a team perspective, from a fan perspective, from a partnership perspective, uh, making sure our member teams are sound business-wise, and then making sure we're putting out a good product both on the ice and off the ice for our fans. Yeah, absolutely. And it's working because you hooked me on the ECHL and you're going to hook a lot of more people on the East Coast Hockey League once this once this goes live. So how can we expect the ECHL, you talked about looking forward to next season, how can we expect it to bounce back from the cancellation of this season? Well, we, we've already started planning for 2021 and we're proceeding uh, as as normal. Uh, but listen, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the world and, you know, we still need to get a number of, of answers, but we've already started planning. Uh, you know, we had a lot of success in our 1920 season. It was a shame to see it come to a premature end there. Uh, our on ice product had never been better. Uh, we had the most NHL, AHL contracts in our league, really cementing our position as that premier double A development league. Uh, the speed of the game, the skill of the game, again, very uh, impressed with with our players and the on-ice product. And then off the ice, uh, our fan engagement uh, continued to climb. Uh, attendance was looking good. Some of our uh, third-party programs, like our, our DC Comics program, our Marvel program, our Nickelodeon program, lots of fun jerseys on the ice. Yeah. Fans, so... Um, 
And then, you know, from a competition standpoint, the divisional races uh, down the stretch were shaping up quite nice and, and looked like a really fun playoff. Um, again, that's why it's so frustrating to see it end. Yeah, it's, but, how, but how did you get those partnerships with DC and Marvel? I think that's what a lot of people attribute to the ECHL who don't know a lot about it is the cool-looking jerseys. How did you come up with the idea to work with Nickelodeon, work with DC, and work with Marvel to get these sweet jerseys in the, in the playing field? Well, in, in minor league sports, I think we've always had the opportunity to go outside the box and do specialty jerseys and, and unique things. Um, but when it comes to partnering with those brands, what we looked at is that those are, you know, worldwide international entertainment brands. And it gives us the ability to put a cool look on the ice, but really welcome new fans into the hockey arena. Whereas people who may not know the game of hockey may not be interested in hockey, but they're fans of Marvel or they're fans of, of Nickelodeon. You know, for instance, I have two young boys who hockey's not really their thing right now but they love uh the nickelodeon characters it gives an opportunity for everyone to to come out and maybe experience hockey for the first time so that was kind of the mindset and uh to see it actually come to fruition is really cool on the ice yeah i love the new ideas with the nickelodeon characters i mean the the jerseys are are insane i i love them and I know my I know my buddies love them in the ECHL. Uh, what are some of your goals going into your third season as the commissioner for next year? Well, uh, I, I would tell you the the world has changed, and so my my focus again the, the guiding star is whatever's in the best interest of the ECHL. And we were again growing our on ice product, growing our off ice product, growing our fan base. But at this point in time, too, I want to focus on the pressing matters, and that's making sure we can get back to business. It may be a different uh, paradigm when, when we get back, and ensuring the safety of our players and our fans. And, again, that may be a new model we need to look at. There's just a lot of uh, questions that, that still need to be answered, and, and that's what we're working on here behind the scenes. Uh, you know, luckily... Um, there's six months before puck drop, and so each each day we've got to evaluate the situation uh, in, in the U.S. and Canada, really worldwide, and uh, what can we do to, to get everyone back to normal? Yeah, getting everyone back to normal. How can we expect the ECHL to grow into a three-tier system like in baseball? You know, I've talked with some of the guys like Mr. Nesbitt. We've talked with him on the show, and we'll get to him later in the program. But how how do, can we expect the ECHL to become uh, the to become like a three-tier system with the American League and the National League? Well, it, it, it's happening slowly over time. I mean, baseball has a different history than hockey. And so the paradigms have developed differently. And if you look at the history of minor league hockey or professional hockey, I mean, there's been, it, it, it's crazy when you look at the numbers over the past 60, 70 years. I think there's been 60, 65 leagues that have come and gone. Um, but you've really started to see uh, that tier system develop. Um, we're not there yet where that utopia will be NHL 32, AHL 32, ECHL 32, but we're, we're striving towards that. It doesn't happen overnight, um, but we will work towards that goal, uh, getting, getting markets, getting buildings, buildings that strategically work for, for all the leagues. And then 
the affiliations will develop on that. I mean, right now, we have uh, the majority of our teams uh, affiliated, and I would say next year you might even see all teams affiliated, plus the fact uh, because there's that, that mismatch and it's not a one-to-one-to-one, uh, all 31 NHL teams last year had uh, contract players in our league. And so, uh, you know, we, we can serve as that, that tier development, that AA level for the entirety of the NHL. But until we get that one-to-one-to-one, you know, it, we're not going to have that true up-and-down relationship. Yeah, that obviously makes sense. So how do you see the ECHL expanding in the coming years, like you talked about, to get to that one-to-one-to-one? Well, again, it doesn't happen overnight. We've got to find markets that are sustainable, uh, buildings with, with modern facilities. I mean, the, the, the off-ice part of our game has changed tremendously. And uh, our product is really based on community and dedication to the market, those that support us. So finding an ownership group who's involved in the community, invested in the community, um, that those are the three factors that will help us grow. Geography also plays into it as well. So we've got to look at that and how a market relates to, to our division. So you combine all those factors. It's not easy. Again, it doesn't happen overnight. No, for sure. Um, but there are, you know, there are new buildings being built. Um, again, this, this pandemic may set some of that back in terms of the velocity or the speed at which it's happening, but the trajectory is still there. Yeah, the trajectory is still there, and I know I'm rooting for it to become a one-to-one-to-one because you guys have so much talent down there. What does the ECHL mean to you as the commissioner? <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's what I know. It's what I've grown up in, um, in terms of, of my life and, and, it's given me every opportunity and it's given so many people opportunities. I mean, we're celebrating our 32nd season next year, going into year 33. And if you talk to Mr. Kelly, who is our first commissioner, you know, I don't know if you can ever envision the league growing into what it's become, but think of what this league has done for players, careers, coaches, careers, uh, equipment manager, trainer, front office personnel. Uh, that's, you know, that's what a developmental league is, and uh, we're very proud of that fact. And then also, uh, like I mentioned prior, you know, our dedication to the communities, being able to give back the, the hospital visits, the school uh, reads, the, the getting kids involved in the game of hockey. Um, the ECHL brings that to a number of communities. And, you know, I was fortunate to grow up uh, with the game of hockey, but I think our our business allows a new generation to grow up with the sport. Yeah, I've seen that evolve with the Fort Wayne Comets because I know my dad goes goes to Fort Wayne a lot. He's he's seen over the years the work that's been done there and how it's evolved. So I can tell you what you're doing is working and it is making a difference. What would you say to our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? That's the main goal of this ECHL special. Well, I and I, I recognize the entire country, the world, uh, is, is taking a hit here and, and suffering. Um, but w- what our goal was from the onset was to create a fund. The PHBA donated, ECHL teams have donated, and uh, big or small, if you want to help out, uh, there's an opportunity to do so. I mean, uh, our guys usually work summer jobs, usually hockey camps. A lot of that's not available now. But we wanted to make sure we created a fund to help those in our community. 
that needed it most. So we set it up. Uh, we've had fans do auctions. Uh, our teams are doing auctions. The league is doing auctions. And again, if you can help, that's uh, that's great. Again, big or small, ultimately just to benefit our players as as they go through this tough time uh, and gear up for next year. Ryan, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners in over 24 states and provinces and three countries before we head out? Well, just I, I'm hoping everyone is, is staying safe, doing whatever their, their jurisdiction is telling them in terms of, of stay, stay at home. Um, ultimately, uh, I think this is the right step so that we can take pressure off the medical community. Hopefully, they can find a way to, to manage and maintain this thing. And uh, from a, a quarantine standpoint, I know we're all suffering, staying at home, and no sports, which uh, you know, for a sports fan, is, is killer here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will get back to normalcy. Um, it's just a matter of time. And so the the key point is to stay safe, make sure your health is good. And there'll be plenty of time to get back into the arena and watch some hockey. Absolutely, there will be. And you'll be leading the charge. Ryan Creelan, Commissioner of the East Coast Hockey League. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. All right, thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. All right, what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundups ECHL Special. Here with another guest, Blake Hillman of the Toledo Walleye. Blake, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good. Doing well. Trying to hold myself together during this coronavirus. But other than that... Keeping myself somewhat sane. Nice, that's good. It's good to hear. Yes, yeah, so you have developed your skills in the AHL and the ECHL as a shutdown defenseman throughout the hockey world. How did you come up with this identity? Um, I think it kind of goes back to when I was in youth hockey and um, coming up through my my uh, youth sports programs and stuff. Um, I don't know. I always enjoyed playing defense, and uh, I, you know, I played off or played forward a couple times in youth hockey and I just never really liked it. I always thought uh, defense was a little bit more um, thinking and uh, and that's how I like to do. That's what I like to do. I like to think the game a little bit more. So, um, but as far as being a shutdown defenseman, you know, I I take pride in, you know, playing against the best players on the other team and, you know, making sure they don't score or, you know, don't have any scoring chances. So uh, I think just being, being able to have confidence in yourself to know you can shut down other players is a big key to that. Yeah, so as we all know, the San Antonio Rampage are relocating, unfortunately. What was the mood like in San Antonio playing against them during your stint with the Griffins? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't really get to talk to any of the people there. I don't even did, I don't know if they knew at that time if they were getting moved. I'm not 100% sure, but... You know, I'm sure it's probably not easy news because it's a it's a good city to play in. It's fun, you know, nice weather in Texas. Uh, they have a really nice arena. They share with the the Spurs, obviously. So uh, I'm sure they're probably not too happy about it. But um, I know they're probably uh, they're probably happy to be continuing their hockey somewhere else. Yeah, obviously, I grew up watching the Rampage, so just a disappointment to see them mm-hmm. moving away. Was it at all awkward looking on the leaderboard in the division and seeing your former team, the Rockford Icehogs, as potential opponents during your time in Grand Rapids? Uh, no, not at all. I was actually looking forward to it. I, when I did get called up, my first couple of games were against them. Unfortunately, I didn't get to play, but... Uh... You know, I said hi to some of my old teammates, uh, like Gilbert and uh, the Sakura brothers and Delia. You know, those guys are all guys. I, I lived with Gilbert, so um, 
I, you know, it was nice to see them and say hi and ask how they're all doing. Uh, you know, I hope nothing but the best for them in the future. Yeah, so what is the environment in Toledo like for a hockey player in terms of like a sports hub? And what is it like as a city? Oh, it's incredible, actually. <clears throat> um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect when going there. And everything from the coaching staff to the arena to the fans to the city, everything blew blew my mind it was it was incredible it's a well very well run organization and you know they take care of their players and the fans take care of the players as well they're they're awesome i mean we i think we led the league in sellouts this year in toledo and yeah you know once when that place gets rocking it's it's a pretty cool environment to play in yeah so although this is your first season in the east coast league what have you taken away thus far from your time there uh just confidence um you know i think it helped me a lot being able to kind of get my game back on track. Uh, obviously, last year I didn't really feel like I played to the best of my abilities, and you know, you know that happens. So I just wanted to focus on you know finding finding my game again. And I think the coaching staff put a lot of trust in me, and my teammates put a lot of trust in me, and um, it, I think that really helped my confidence and helped my game this year. Absolutely, we miss you in Rockford, watching you play with the Ice Hogs. Anything else you want to say to our listeners who might be considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, we work super hard for, to, you know, to, to play during the season. And, you know, there's guys with families and people that are trying to are expecting to get married and stuff. And, you know, not having that the extra couple paychecks, you know, really makes a big difference. So if there are people out there that are able to and that are listening, um, we'd be more than happy to have you donate. It's truly for a good cause and for, for good people in, in the end. Yeah, great cause, great people, great players like yourself, Blake Hillman, on the Tomahawk Roundup, ECHL Special. Thank you so much, Blake. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zaroski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Fundraiser Special, and I am joined by returning Tomahawk Roundup guest Dan DeSalvo, Chicagoland native. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Good, I'm doing great. So, how was your time with the Wolves before the cancellation being back home in the Chicagoland area? Uh, it, was, it was awesome, for sure. You know, as a kid growing up, you kind of dream about playing for them one day. Obviously, the Blackhawks first, but uh, I'm very, very happy to join the Wolves. You know, I got an opportunity to play Pennant from where I grew up. You know, I skated the Hoffman Ring during the summer uh, to stay in shape, so... That's kind of a full circle thing, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So how did it feel to be back in Cleveland for the stint this season, continuing from the 2018-19 season? Uh, yeah, it was, it was great to be back there, too. You, know, you, you get to go back and see your guys, some of the guys you played with uh, in the previous season. Uh, makes a transition from when you get called up a little easier that you, you know a bunch of guys in the locker room, so you're more comfortable. Uh, and, you know, I, I enjoyed my time there, and I really liked the guys there, so you know, nice to be back for uh, the two weeks I was there. Yeah, what is hockey like in Cleveland with the Cavaliers, Browns, and Indians all in the area? They uh, they do very well, fan like, you know, obviously with it being such a big arena, it's not always a sellout, uh, but they do have great fans. It's a lot of fans. Uh, you, you, you do play in front of them, uh, some packed barns during special jersey nights and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're just as loyal, and I enjoy the time playing there. 
Yeah, so during the 2017-18 season, you played for the Hartford Wolfpack. How has hockey changed in Connecticut since the Whalers left? Uh, you know, I'm not too familiar with that, but uh, I know UConn plays out of there. They, you know, they, they brought fans, too. Um, but the city itself, uh, you know, it's kind of gone downhill a little bit, I'll be honest with you. Um, I did live down there, and, you know, on the weekends it was a little dead. During the week, it was, you know, the business people running around. But uh, as far as fan-wise goes, you know, they think they are pretty decent. Yeah, so the Stingray were in a fabulous position going into what was supposed to be the 2020 playoffs. How do you carry that momentum into next season? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously everyone, I'm sure, could tell that it's uh, pretty devastating, you know, not only for us, but, you know, for all the teams that were going to make playoffs and uh, how everything were going to turn out is going to be something special that, you know, Stingray, you know, we talked about in the locker room, you know, pretty much the whole year, that it was something special to be a part of. You know, we kind of knew that, you know, from the get-go. So to see that end like it did, it's very unfortunate. And as far as next year, you know, I think it's going to leave a sour taste in some guy's mouth. And, you know, that's going to be some fuel to continue what was going on and kind of finish what was started. Yeah, finish what was started. You know, you guys were first in your division. You had clinched a spot. And I feel like you guys can keep that momentum going. I mean, you guys got a lot of great prospects, a lot of great young guys, great leaders like yourself. So what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? I mean, you've been there a while. What does it mean to you? Yeah, uh, obviously the first thing I'll say is don't forget uh, where you started or where you came from. Uh, I have had a lot of success in that league. And, you know, there are good players out there. Uh Unfortunately, you know, sometimes the league gets a bad rap for, you know, kind of some of the uh, off-ice stuff that happens involving some teams and, you know, all that. But at the end of the day, my opinion is it's so good hockey. Um, you know, I, that's where I'm playing in that league. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be successful and it's given me a chance to play in the American League and show, you know, I can uh, play at the next level. And... There are great coaches out there, and they do give guys opportunities. So, uh, for me, it's meant a lot. Yeah, it means a lot to a lot of guys, and that's why we're doing this, to try to raise money for the Player Relief Fund. You know, shifting gears back to your time in Tulsa, you know, you got some time there in 15-16, time back there in 17-18, kind of like the Cleveland area. How is that? How does that change from a typical, traditional, like Chicago or Cleveland hockey environment? Yeah, Smaller towns, downtown's not very big at all. Uh, I guess it's kind of a, not necessarily small town where you know everyone, but uh, it's small enough where you do know some people. So in that regard, it's very different. The whole kind of like place to eat, you know, it's, it's a little different. There's not much, but uh, they do have some good spots. And I, I did like my time in Tulsa. The fans were very good to me, so it was the coaching staff. Yeah, coaching staff, it's a it's a great organization. What would you say to our listeners from around the country, around the world, who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Yeah, uh, obviously I understand times are tough. Uh, but I mean, any little bit helps. You know, there's only young kids who you know, kind of dependent on 
playing the extra couple months and getting that paycheck or even playoff bonus and stuff like that. Uh, so I know I speak for um, everyone that played in the league or has played in the league that, you know, we appreciate anything. And there's guys out there that go through war, you know, and sacrifice for their team. So we appreciate anything. Yeah, hear from the man himself, the Chicago area man, Dan DeSalvo. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. All right, what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by Luke Sandler of the Kalamazoo Wings of the East Coast Hockey League. Luke, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Really excited to have you on. So, really wanted to start out. You grew up in the Chicagoland area playing Team Illinois and Chicago Young Americans. How did those teams propel you toward a career in hockey? Yeah, so when I was young, yeah, I was, like you said, I played for Team Illinois growing up, played for CYA a little bit too, had some good coaches. No, I mean, playing tri- AAA hockey, you know, it just kind of gets you going. You know, you, you start traveling around, you start going to different cities, you know, all these different things, and it's just, you know, high-level hockey, so that kind of puts you on the right platform to start, you know, pursuing in, the, in the, you know, the right direction. Yeah. So how is the BCHL different than the USHL in terms of junior hockey and competition? Um, I think, you know, the BCHL is a very, very good league. Um, I think it has a little more offense upside to it in a way. Um, it just seemed, I'm not, you know, exactly 100% sure. Both great leagues. We just have to, you know, be in BCHL for two years and, you know, just having obviously some success there. I just noticed obviously you kind of like, you know, let you have confidence in trusting your offensive game, just letting your, you know, your flow of the game kind of just like develop and stuff. Yeah, so you were in Elmira with the Jackals for their last ECHL season. What was that like for you? Yeah, that was a pretty uh, pretty different experience. I mean, you know, you go to different towns and you, know, you arrive in Elmira, you're kind of like, okay, what, what is this? You know, what, what I get myself into, this city and stuff. But I mean, it's, like I said, sometimes pro hockey is pro hockey and you just got to kind of, you know, accept where you are and play. But it, uh, it was hard. You know, we were... I think we were probably the worst team in the league, and we were losing a lot. So that was that was kind of hard. It was one of those ones where it's like you know you're everyone's minds kind of just were like shut off in a way where it's like you're just trying to get through the rest of the season and not really you know yeah. worry too much about playoffs because you know we're, we're so far down. So it, it was it was tough, but it was definitely a good experience. So to kind of that was like the first kind of you know um, for, first kind of steps of me getting you know into the ECHL and playing consistently. So. Yeah, so during your time in Atlanta with the Gladiators, you were under the leadership of Captain Derek Nesbitt. What is he like as a leader? No, he was amazing. He just, you know, you take his personal experience and it's just his veteran leadership. It's just above all. I mean, you know, the guy's been playing for so long and he's still such a good player. You just, you look up to him, you try to mimic certain qualities of what he brings and like, you know, what he teaches you. Yeah. So how was the transition from Alab- uh, from Atlanta to Kalamazoo for you as a player? It was good. It was different. I mean, my, my first year... Um, lucky enough, I had a, you know had a, had a good staff there. Um, Chuck Weber and Brady Lights and Ring, and like I said, we had a great team. Great, like you know, everyone was a great team. And then come back next year is a different coach for me. And I'll see sometimes, you know, with uh, certain coaches, you know, you don't maybe get out, you know, the right foot, whatever it is. And sometimes a fresh a fresh start is needed. So the transition to uh, Kalamazoo, it was it was it was hard, a little bit hard at first, but it was a bit amazing. You know, I had Nick Nick, uh, Nick Bula and Joe Martin. They've been great coaches for me for the past two years, and. Everyone there made it pretty easy for me to step in and kind of do my thing. And once, you know, things got going there, everything was great. But, yeah, it was, a, it was an easy transition just kind of having a great, you know, staff and stuff there to kind of help me get through it. Yeah, so what are you most looking forward to for next season? Just, yeah, right now, I'm just looking forward to getting back to playing. I uh, I actually injured my wrist towards the end, uh, 
around, around February of last year, so I've been kind of out for a little while, and also kind of itching to get back. But uh, no, I'm just I'm just looking forward to get back and playing. You know, I mean, like you said, having a chance to you know play for playoffs and make your run. Because obviously this year was cut short for everybody, so it's kind of you know difficult to you know uh, deal with the circumstances. But yeah, I'm just excited to get back and going. What does the ECHL mean to you as a player? You know, it's, 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 it's a stepping stone still. I look at it. I mean, it's still professional hockey. It's obviously not the highest level um, where, you know, you want to be at. But to me, you know, it's still a professional league, and it's still it's still a stepping stone. You know, you got to use it as in an advantage, not just be like, oh, I'm in ECHL, it's blah, blah. You know, I feel like, you know, for me, if you use it as a stepping stone and still try to get your game on the right path and still try to do the best you can, it can lead you to, you know, higher opportunities. Yeah, so what do you wish the public knew more about with the ECHL? Hmm, let's see, that's a hard one. Um, you know, it, it, it's a grind. You know, we have, for, for what we get, I guess, you know, get paid for, you know, being a technically a professional athlete, even though it's minor leagues, it's not, I guess it doesn't really, you know, correlate to, you know, what we do, I guess. Um, it's a grind, as in, you know, you can have four and fives, three and threes going, you know, getting in somewhere, you know, at 5 a.m., playing at 3 p.m., just just what we do for our bodies and what, you know, the this level of, you know, sorry, the, the level of where we're at and, like, what we kind of, you know, get paid to, you know, paid for isn't probably where it needs to be, I would think, and just, like you said, I, think, I always just stick on, like, that grind part. Yeah, stick on the grind. How do you keep yourself going during the grind of the season? Like, what strategies and techniques do you have for yourself? Uh, you know, just keep the body, you know, you got to keep it feeling good. You got to stretch, you know, ice baths, whatever you need to do. For me, it was, you know, is a lot of ice baths after each game was trying to get proper rest. I mean, hydrating, you know, a lot of hydration. It's obviously hard, you know, when you get in, you're sleeping, let's say, you know, you're sleeping on a bus, you're rolling at 4 a.m., you got to play a, a, a 2 o'clock game. It's hard. You're not getting great sleep because the minute you roll in, you're unpacked and you go back to the hotel, it, it definitely messes you up and the next day it's like that too. So it's just... It's just finding the right, you know, the right things and doing the right, uh, having, having the right tools to maintain your body, feeling good, and just, you know, like proper warm-up, proper nutrition, stuff like that to kind of help keep you ready for each game. Yeah, keep yourself ready, stay in that routine. You started out your ECHL career with the Brampton Beast of the Ottawa Senators organization now. What was that like for you playing so close to Toronto? Yeah, that was that was really cool for me. Um, it was definitely hard, kind of when I obviously got in. I didn't really, I think you know, I had I played about ten games there in Brant, and it, it was hard. I got to be honest, with you. I didn't. I guess with the chances sometimes the ice time weren't. There were some games maybe got three shifts, maybe whatever it was, and it, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But I definitely think it kind of helped me, and it, it made me kind of mature in a way and kind of understand what I need to do to you know play regularly. And, but like playing in Toronto, you know, and playing there was amazing. Like, you know, you're downtown Toronto living. It was just a really cool thing to, you know, to see and be a part of. Yeah. What would you say to our listeners who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? You know, I, it, it's amazing what, you know, the league and the fans, everyone's, you know, people been able to do to kind of get this going for us. And, you know, we really appreciate it. And like I said, I know everyone's struggling out there. It's definitely hard. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it, it, it takes a lot for people to donate it, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and Ireland? Stay safe. You know, I just hope everyone's staying safe this time and doing what they can to protect family and others and, you know, and, and, and themselves, and hopefully we can get, you know, everything back and running soon. Yeah, Luke Sandler, the Kalamazoo Wings. Luke, thank you so much for your time.
Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Special here with Brett Boeing of the Toledo Walleye. Brett, how are you today? Good, how are you? Good, doing great. Staying indoors, staying safe, and staying healthy. Yes. Of course, of course. Exactly. So what is Hockey East like for our listeners not in the New England area, and how is the environment from a player's perspective? Uh, so Hockey East... Um... I, uh, growing up, I didn't really, you know, in the Chicago area, you don't really hear about much about the Hockey East Conference, and obviously you hear of, uh, you hear of the Michigans, you hear of all the other big conferences, um, but growing up, I didn't hear of it, and, uh, as I went into junior hockey, um, you hear, I started hearing about the BUs, the VCs, and then, um, I, to, to describe the conference itself, I think it's, it's there right with NCHG, um, you see top teams in the country always come out of the out of hockey East, you know, the rankings are in the year um, comes up. You always see a hockey East team uh, making a, a stride at the national championship. So um, I think that the the level of hockey is is top of the top uh, for college, and um, I think it's produced a ton of NHL players as you see in the professional hockey players. Yeah. So what was the transition like from the NCAA to the ECHL, and how did you adapt to it? Um, I, I think it it. Uh, it model my the professional game um, is better for my game itself. Uh, I think it's uh, the professional game compared to college hockey. College hockey is so much uh, structure based. Um, uh, it's you're playing with your same four guys that you've been with your like you got four you, you you basically live with those guys. So you're all on a strict schedule. Like uh, you're on a um, um, like practices and, and games and whatnot. Um, you can tell that. Uh, the playing style, coaches have, uh, have you playing a certain way. Um, when you go to pro, go to pro hockey, it's more a wide open game. It's more creativity, um, making plays, more offensive for sure. Um, that's what you see when you look at college scores. I mean, it, it uh, varies on conferences in college, but when you look at college scores, it's more defensive. There, there's not as many goals scored. When you get a, get to the program, you see some of the high high scoring games and and whatnot, just because it's less structure and more. Um, playmaking and skill making. Yeah, so what has your first season, although abbreviated, in the ECHL been like for you in Toledo? Uh, I, I, honestly, I didn't I didn't know what to expect um, going into Toledo this year. Uh, I knew that they had a, a strong fall, um, but my, my first year there, I, I loved Toledo. Um, the fan base, they, we, we sell out every single game. Um, I can't ask for a, a better place to be. Uh, coaches there are awesome. Uh, players I played with this year, I, I want to say that I didn't really come into pro hockey. I've heard, heard uh, stories about um, teams not being as like tight, and um, obviously you have guys that are have their wife and kids, and, and then they got the young guys too. So it's a lot different than the college game for that style. Um, but our, our team is really tight. Um, I got to I got along with every single guy on the team, and um, I think our team is. is was really tight in group. Yeah, talking about your team and the guys you got along with, we interviewed former Rockford Icehawks forward and your good friend and teammate, Blake Hillman. What is he like off the ice? I know you played juniors with him and now play in the pro game. How has that helped your transition along with what is he like off the ice? Yeah, uh, Hilly's awesome. Uh, Blake is, I, I've known him since, I'm trying to think, my... Uh, after graduation high school, so when I was uh, 18 years old, I'm ever since, and um, I, I've, I vacation with him. I, I go out to his house in summer, golf all the time. But he's uh, he's an awesome kid. He's he's 
he's one of the nicest guys you'll you'll be around. He's he's very uh, personable, and he's always looking out for his, his buddies and stuff. Um, but uh, it definitely helped going into Toledo. Um, so it always it's always a little nerve nerve wracking when you go to a new team and uh, you don't know many of the guys. But uh, to know Hilly um, before I got there, it was definitely uh, a lot better for me to be a, adapt to uh, the Brohawk. And he obviously he he uh, graduated a year or went to pro a year before I did. So. He kind of showed me the ropes, and uh, he knew uh, what to do or going forward. Yeah. So what has been your favorite moment so far in your pro career from your first season? Um, favorite moment, um, I would have to say one of, one, of the, one of the coolest things this year was uh, the trip out to Newfoundland. Um, they, uh, obviously, I wasn't there the year before when uh, Toledo lost them. But that trip, like, you'll – I mean, obviously – Going to Newfoundland, it's, it's not—it's not like it's a vacation spot. So it's not like people go there to, um, like when they have their what couple days for vacation. So it's—it's it's a place I only go probably because I play hockey. So um, that, that was definitely some to uh, a good experience. Like just like the city looks like I've been to Europe a couple times and, and it feels like a little European city. Just um, right on the right on a little bay and it's an island. So it, it, the travel was cool. It was—it was a cool place. They, they love hockey there. Um, it was it was a good bonding as a team too. So you're, we were out there for a week and we got to kind of form the, the town and, and the city. Yeah, I can only imagine the atmosphere when you guys went back for the first time after the championship, the Kelly Cup final. What was that game like going back the first time, being in the atmosphere, especially for some of the older guys? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> some of the guys like uh, Shane Burschbach, who's one of our captains this year, um, he's, he's playing Toledo probably for. I think this was his seventh year, or sixth year. Um, Toledo, she never won there. Now uh, we we got we got swept this past season, um, and they they never won a game there in playoffs when they played there. So uh, they definitely uh, it's a hard place to play. Obviously, you got to travel and uh, and whatnot. So that's that's one thing. But uh, it's definitely it was a cool atmosphere. Um, they have, they always have a good crowd, and um, it's a cool. It's a neat little rink that. Uh, not many people get to experience. Yeah, so what does the ECHL mean to you? Like, what does it mean to you as a player just helping your professional game? Um, I think, obviously, like I said, I didn't know what to expect coming in. Um, I, I, I think coming into it, I didn't uh, fully give the league the respect I should have. Um, coming in, looking back now, and, and as I go through my first year, I see so many really skilled guys. you, you got guys that are have NHL experience, um, they're playing the ECHL, and I don't think uh, the general population knows uh, too much about the ECHL and um, the high level of players that, that come with it. Yeah, what would you want the general population to know about the ECHL for those who are like us in Chicago who don't really have an East Coast team? We have the Wolves and the Blackhawks, but we don't have a, a team until like Kalamazoo or Fort Wayne or Indianapolis. Yeah, um, I think in that, in that uh, sense... You look at um, like for Toledo, for example, like we are that NHL team to them. Like we are their um, their team, and they have another minor league baseball team there too, uh, the Mudhens. But I think uh, the general public, like Chicago population, um, I mean, there, there's that. Like I have buddies, I have plenty of buddies that are playing in the ECHL that are from the Chicagoland area. Um, and, and, and up and down between um, even playing against the Wolves and whatnot. So uh, I think the ECHL is, doesn't really get the respect uh, from the population, but I mean, you also have to take it for granted 
Chicago has the Wolves uh, as a minor league team. They have the Blackhawks. So, I mean, people don't really think past those two things. But um, you see Chicago, since Blackhawks have been doing so well the past decade, uh, you see just the the popularity of hockey, uh, popularity of hockey and youth hockey in uh, Chicago has just gone through the roof, I feel like. Yeah, it's gone through the roof. We've gotten so many great guys coming out of the Chicagoland area like yourself, Dan DeSalvo, Luke Sandler, all in the ECHL, just repping the Chicago pride. So what would you say to any of our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Um, I think, obviously, you look at, I mean, the, the effort we put in and the work we put in to kind of bring that another form of entertainment. I mean, Hawks, you, you look at what they're making, like salaries they're making. Um, I mean, we're at, at this point, like it's, it's, I'm still playing for the heart of the game. Like I, I love the game and it, it's, I think um, in that uh, sense, you have to think about uh, like the older guys that are in our league that have wife, wives and kids and, um, I really feel for them because they have so much more expenses than, than myself. But, um, yeah, I think guys are still trying to make livings. Guys have, like, even we have older guys that have played NHL games that are still playing, playing in the ECHL that, that deserve the money. And I mean, unfortunately, um, with the ECHL and most cities that have teams, it's, it's hard for a uh, team to stay afloat because of uh, the expenses that come with it. And, um, the not, uh, the minimal profit or minimal gains teams are making, it's hard to give money out. And especially when you can't play games, like it's, it it definitely hurts the league as a whole. Like I said, and I think looking back at when they actually stopped the league, there was a couple teams that still just wanted to spend the league, um, and and wait till further notice. But, uh, once it came down to it, so many teams couldn't afford to pay their players and suspend the league. Like you look, the AHL suspended, and uh, they they actually the AHL paid out their players uh, until the end of the season, um, and, and they're they're still on suspension. They haven't uh, stopped their season yet. So, um, hoping for maybe an AHL and NHL return eventually, maybe in December. But obviously, with everything going on, it's hard to hard to imagine uh, how that scenario would uh, pan out. Yeah, just uh, obviously disappointing. But it understand it. You understand. Anything else you want to add for our listeners around the country, in Canada, in Ireland, and beyond? Uh, I just I think uh, people should uh, attract maybe, uh, maybe on social media or just check out the ECHL as a whole. Or um, if you're close to Toledo or any of these uh, ECHL, ECHL cities, you should uh, come out and catch a game sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Catch a game. See the real talent that's going on in the East Coast Hockey League. Brett Belling of the Toledo Walleye. Brett, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Alright, so what is going on guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by the face of Atlanta hockey in Derek Nesbitt himself of the Atlanta Gladiators. Derek, how are you tonight? Good, Frank. How are you doing? Good, good. Really appreciate you coming on. So during your second professional season in 2006-2007, you played in a really unusual hockey environment with the Idaho Steelheads. What was it like playing in such a different hockey town? That's cool, man. I, I didn't know what to expect. I uh, So it's weird. I spent my first year here in Atlanta with what was then the Gwinnett Gladiators. Um, I actually got traded the first day of training camp wow. um, to Boise. Um, yeah, just the, the backstory there is there was uh, uh, our co- 
now, Jeff Pyle, who was my coach then, um, he, we had uh, Jeff Campbell, who was my roommate, and the league MVP the year before that was coming back um, a little earlier than they thought from, from Grand Rapids, from training camp. We actually thought he was going to stick there. Um, he comes back, so obviously they got to pay him a little more, so it kills our cap a little bit. So now we got to get rid of some second-year money off the cap to bring Soupy back, and arguably, I mean, it, there was, I know, and I've been given the story since then, obviously, a long time, but there was three of us second-year guys put on the blocks, and um, Jeff's always been really good about if he has to move somebody, tries to give him the best opportunity um, that they can, not just letting him go to uh, to wherever. And, and Boise came calling right away, and he said, I had to move you. It was just they, they, they called first. They asked they wanted you, so I, I had to do it. So they really got nothing in return. It was kind of a here and for whatever it was. But um, I ended up going there. I had a former teammate, Greg Rallo, from college. It was there as a rookie that season. So um, he told me it was it was awesome. his experience so far. So I went out there, and things went pretty well, <laughs> to say the least, that year. But... Um, no, the, that town is amazing. Um, one of the, uh, I don't know if you call it hidden gems anymore because everyone knows it's such an awesome road trip and it's a great home city, but um, I can't say enough good things about Boise, but um, fans are great. Yeah, fans are well. Organizations top-notch. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about them. Yeah, because a lot of guys don't expect hockey in Idaho, and I like to get a, a unique perspective from the different areas of hockey throughout the United States and Canada. Shifting gears to Atlanta, you are the all-time leader in goals for the Atlanta Gladiators. We were talking about this before we went on. What does that mean for you, carrying the legacy of Atlanta hockey on your back with your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the team's been here for, well, 17 years now, so, I mean, it's one thing if you're the leader and the team's been here 30, 40, 50 years, but at the same time, I think in this league, I don't think to, to do it where I started in this league and then spent kind of, I call it like the meat of my career, which was in the American League, and then I, I came back here five years ago to, I had an opportunity to work with youth hockey, I, it was home for me and my wife, so it was, um, she never traveled with me when I when I played in the American League and when I went overseas, she, she actually didn't travel with me, so it was kind of time to like, an opportunity which an old teammate and roommate of mine with the head coach Andy Brand at the time. I got back from from Europe and a couple weeks later we were out golfing and um, he was in with kind of the minor hockey community and said I could maybe help you out there if you wanted to come back. We, could, you know, kind of get you the, the a bit of a side gig as well. And um, it, it was kind of like a two year plan to come back and then maybe get my feet deeper in the water youth hockey and find something to do after and now here we are five years later in deeper with youth hockey but also still playing so yeah and doing uh, a really good job of it if I might add right and I think like you say with the, with the goals I, I just think at this point doing it at the, it's it's one thing you, if you sit here for the first five six years and do it you're still young and you're prime whatever to be able to keep doing it I think it's any 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 achievement like that I, I appreciate the longevity of it and and doing it at, I just turned 38 uh, Thursday. So, oh, happy birthday. Uh, which, which, thank you, which would have been, I think, probably game three of our first round playoffs. So I was very much looking forward to playing them as a 38-year-old, but I got to wait until October now. 
Yeah, that's unfortunate, but you you sound like you're in good spirits, and you know you've got the you got the whole legacy of Atlanta hockey on your back, and that really means a lot to so many of our listeners around the country. As the captain of the Gladiators, you've list, witnessed the evolution of the team. How has the city adapted hockey wise since the departure of the Thrashers? I mean, it's you still get the people that go. Oh, I didn't know we still had a hockey team. I thought the Thrashers, you know, and, and that's just. And that's just, uh, since they left, is when I came back in 15-16, that's been with the team, that's with the team five years removed. Um, you know, I'm a, I, and not to, not to, let me give you a backstory. So, when I was here for the first 10 games of the season, 2010-11, our opening night was on Friday in October. The Thrashers played that night, too. Now, mind you, Gwinnett County is um, huge with high school football, which is Friday nights. So we had that night, with all that going on, high school football, uh, Atlanta Thrashers home game on a Friday, also the 7.30 p.m. start home game out in Gwinnett County. We had 10,200. Say we had uh, 10,200, uh, was it 11? Yeah, almost 10,500 people. Wow. The Thrashers that same night had 9,200. You're kidding. We outdrew them. So, as that's the last year of the Thrashers as well, unfortunately. And I'm not saying that, but it was, if, you were, if, if the whole bash is the ownership group of them, obviously they didn't support them well enough, and they didn't do enough for them, and, it's, and, and that's too bad, because I had a lot of friends with them. Um, I trained in the summer with Eric Bolton, and, and uh, Chris Thorburn, Danny Summers, and Owen skated with guys that were here. So, because I was always here in the summer, so it guys liked it here. Um, I know Bogosian, we're still friends with him, and he 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 still misses the city as a town of living. He loved living here. I know um, a lot of guys did. I mean, it was just because it was a little easier to to hide, stay under the limelight, if, especially if you're a superstar and, and whatnot. It's just you know, and some guys do like that, and some don't. And that is what it is, but. Um, when they left, it definitely hurt. It hurt the youth hockey. Um, and you can kind of see that in those birth years around them when those, you know, four, five, six-year-olds maybe would have seen a Thrasher's game previously. Now they're not seeing it if they live in different parts of the city. Now now you try to get them to our game. So it's, it's and I was gone for a lot of that time. Um, now coming back is when we came to Atlanta. That was my first year back there five years ago. So that was a big thing with, the goal was let's we're the team in Atlanta. People have to know that. So um, that was the idea. Of the name change, um, and it's and it, a lot of people took it as a slight to Gwinnett County. That's not the case. We could call ourselves Duluth, but because we're in the city, Duluth in Gwinnett County, we didn't used to do that. And it, I, I just tell people and say, listen, I, I'm from Seaford, Ontario, which is two thousand people. If someone asks me down here, where are you from? I don't say. I say Southern Ontario, near London. And then I say a small town named Seaford. If someone asks me, I go home, where are you on in Atlanta? Which is, but I'm a little north of Atlanta, and where I live is different, not in Duluth, but we play in Duluth, which is in Gwinnett County, which is a suburb of Atlanta. So, why don't you call yourself Atlanta? It makes sense. Yeah, it makes so, sense. You're trying to gain that 100%, identity. 100%. And there's people that they get a little butthurt over that, but they got to, come on. Think about it a bit. It's 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 smart. It's marketing. It's it's a business. Is what we are. So exactly, that's what we have to do it. And, and I think it drew some people into starting. It's 
and it's still going. It's it's we have uh, our owner Jerry James is or uh, he's he's very uh, passionate. Um, hard to call it, but uh, he's yeah, he's just, he he loves the game. Um, anytime I talk to him, he's got ideas. He wants to think outside the box. He's, he's um he he's in a direct diversity of up Atlanta, which which it is, and it and he's trying to bring out all different cultures to to introduce this game to. And I he has some big big so he's working hard. He's got his staff working hard, and and. Yeah, keep growing it, and I think, especially with the Atlanta Heritage Night that you guys started, tell us a little bit about that for our listeners, because I think that's a big thing that was started by the ownership core, and that's really kind of what drew me in further to the Atlanta Gladiators, and I put them on my map, at least. Oh, for sure. Um, no, I think it was cool, and we, and we, we, we did it the first year and kind of introduced that, uh, that third jersey with it, um. Last year we did it with, um, well, we also we recognized the Atlanta Knights last year in a, in a Heritage Night to start opening weekend to, uh, it was their 20 or 25th anniversary, if I don't, of their, of their Turner Cup win. So we wore uh, Atlanta Knights jerseys in warm-ups with um, those players' name and numbers on our, on our backs, which is really cool. And then wow. um, showed up for that, actually Brent Gretzky dropped the, dropped the puck for the back to that you moment. Sound like it too. You sound like it too. Like nostalgia is cool, right? And anyone wants to feel young again. They want to take want to go back to a time that they enjoyed, made them feel good. So I think I love that. Like we um so the one thing you do with the heritage night is I, I don't know how familiar with the whole night setup you are, but the fir- the first period um were essentially the Atlanta Knights. We come out and it's the um the order lighting, the scoreboard we announce that we're in the old Omni arena and it's it's the Atlanta Knights basically um where we score a goal, they say Atlanta Knights goal, they play their old goal song, they do their old cheers, whatever they had, and the whole first period is dedicated to that. Second period the Atlanta Flames. We come out where we come out and they announce welcome back to the second period, your Atlanta Flames. It's got all the colors, all the border and everything, and then the third period which is the trashers, the walk of the blue land. Everything, the whole the 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 TV timeout videos are all throwbacks to them and and whatnot. So it's it's cool, and even the guys in our team think it's pretty cool to see that. And they like it's Thrashers on the on the scoreboard, not Gladiators, and it's special. It's you know it we get a bad rap because of what kind of how the Thrashers kind of laugh, and it's too bad because um maybe this wasn't run very well, but I I, I hate you know. Are they going to get another try? I don't think so. Because I, I mean, another you're going to have thirty-two teams soon. I don't, 
I don't know what they'll do. If, if a team was to volunteer, maybe that would be the case, but I don't, you don't see that happening. Do I wish for it because I'm here involved in the hockey community? 100%. Will it happen? I don't know. But um, it is. It's, there's some very loyal people to the game here, and it's, uh, it's too bad it's gone. Yeah, I remember. At, at, the, at the NHL level. At the NHL level. At the NHL level, you know, I. I grew up watching the old Chicago Wolves, who were the primary affiliate of the Thrashers. So I grew up watching that, and that put a hole in my heart when they left. So I feel your pain with Atlanta's NHL future being a toss-up. Shifting gears now to your international play, during the 14-15 season, you played in Italy with the EBEL, Austrian Hockey League. How does that differ from North America for our listeners? Because a lot of our listeners either watch Major Juniors, CHL, NHL, American, East Coast. How is it different? Uh, uh, Austria is at least, I think Austria and Germany are maybe a um, you, 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 feed, you find a lot of North Americans mostly. Their, their, their import rules are a little different. They, ought, they, they bring over a lot more imports, so you do see more of a mix of, of European players and North American players. So it's not so much as like the Scandinavian game, which is a little different because the, they, don't, they, they don't take as many imports, so it's more of their locals. Um, so the game style is a little different. However, you do hear a lot like, Sweden, Finland, maybe a little closer to NHL style, but um, it's different because the way it's the rules are a little different. There's a little more room behind the net. There's, um, you know, further off the blue lines, a little further out. It, it, the zones are so big, so it, no one stops. No one stops skating. I, I had to change my hollow on my blades over there because I needed more glide because I realized I'm doing way too much stopping. I need to keep skating. It's wow. Once you get behind the plate so much. It was the little things of um, you come back as a winger through the dots, kind of fan out. Nope, now I'm too far from the plate. It goes up the other side. So it's, you kind of come back down the wall a little bit, curl inside, and you can still get back outside if you need to. But um, it is. It's never stopping. Make sure you're always skating forwards. Don't get flat-footed. Um, or you can easily be caught behind the plate. Just go, well, how quick the transition is because no one stops because of the 100-foot wide ice rather than the 85, like here. That's the biggest thing. It's just, it's just very different. No one, I mean, no one's dumping pucks at the corners because the corners are so deep. It's too hard to get back, so everyone's keeping it. Um, an adjustment. It took me some time, but I, that's where, if you look at my, probably my numbers, they all came later in the year as, it, as I, I kind of flourished them once, once I got the rhythm going. Yeah, I noticed that with the number towards the latter half of the season, you just, it was a huge uptick, and that shows that the progression was there, and you're adapting to the environment, another key quality of a hockey player. Shifting gears again, as you know, the San Antonio Rampage, they're moving to a Nevada. You spent part of two seasons with the Rampage. What will you take away from your time with the Rampage in San Antonio? An unbelievable city. Uh, I love, it's, it's, that was one place I was briefly, my wife was with me there, and, uh, even she said, she's like, geez, this is a, she's like, I, I'm not going to leave home, but if I was, like, this is a city I could live, like, it was just, it's beautiful, um, can't say enough about the city, um, my experiences hockey-wise weren't great there personally, but that has nothing to do with anyone or anything, it was just, I mean, you know, I could, I could bitch complain all I want about certain things, but I know my first go-round there when I was signed with Phoenix, I wasn't really mentally mature enough to, to deal with maybe the way I was dealt with and whatever. And, and I'd love to go back and redo some things. Everyone could in their hockey career, but it is what it is, learning experience, 
lot of good guys there. It was a tough year for us. We were young. Um, uh, but I can't say enough about the city. Um, it was it was a solid fan base there too. For having to play in a big rink where in AT and T where where the Spurs play, I mean it's yeah. If you get eight thousand people there in twenty thousand seat arena, it doesn't look good. But I mean that's a good number. I mean even five like that's good. They do a good job. Um, their in game presentation was solid um, for a, you know the, the non traditional market, whatever you, as everyone calls it. But um, no, I I love the city. Uh, love to find my way back there if I could just to, to visit or whatever it may be uh, but um, it's too bad it's gone a lot of people like it. it's a great road trip um, but uh, yeah it's too bad I hope I hope something fills the void there yeah if they want yeah, I remember my first minor hockey game was actually a Wolves against the Rampage game, and that kind of sucked me into the broadcasting business, was the Wolves against the Rampage, kept my eyes on the Rampage. Uh, taking our t- course over to the main event of this segment, uh, what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? I mean, tell us tell us about it, because a lot of our a lot of our listeners, you know, they see the Wolves, but they don't pay attention to the Fort Wayne Comets that's like three, four hours away. Tell us about the East Coast League. Three, I guess you'd call it a three-tier system. That's where the 
you know, NHL the one and American League two and us the three and, and really use it like baseball does as, as grounds to make guys better, not to go, well, he can't be here. Let's get rid of him. And yeah. Down there. It's, it's like, well, he's not playing much here. Send him for a couple weeks. Let him play this shit. And then he comes back up with a little confidence. Like, use it. If they use it the right way, it can be very beneficial. And I think the more communication between those clubs and the ECHL, like, I understand that they don't fund our teams. Our our coaches are our own coaches, and they're not put in place by them like the American League. So that's very different. That can stay this way, but still respect it to keep that communication going, which I find the last couple of years I've seen Boston do it a lot more with us, um, with them in Providence, and I, and I think it's helped a lot because we've had a lot of good kids here. So I'd like to see that continue to be a true – now. I know I'm not part of that tier being an older veteran guy, and that's what we're kind of in place. That's why there's that rules both leagues is to kind of help those younger guys, and I love that role, and I think it's awesome. I, I love the 20, 21-year-olds. If, you know, they kind of ask you for help or, or you, you're you there to give them help and they respect that, and um, they know you've been in that next level and that they want to get to, so I love that part of it. Um, so I, I, I do. I, I have a lot of respect for this league, and I hope it keeps getting more respect. Absolutely. It needs to get more respect because people, like you had said, they just say, oh, he can't play, just send him to the coast, when we should be working to develop these players, help them gain their skill. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and like I said, send them down here, you get better. Don't, and, you know, there's the amount, of, the amount of people that NHL teams have on staff now. If you look through the specialty coaches for everything, it's, we're starting to see, um, you know, Boston sent Jamie Lankford. Um, uh, he's one of their developmental coaches. Mike Dunham was here, the goalie coach. I mean, that's very chief to see for our. So now our guys on ECHL contracts, they're rookies. They see, holy shit! Like, guy from Boston's here. This in the in the room, hammering up with the guys, saying hello, and and go introduce yourself. Do that, but it's it 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 shows some professionalism right away. Like, hey, like we are getting seen. Like someone's watching all the time. No matter who it is, it's constant banter going back and forth. So, like I said, it's it's let's turn this into a true tiered system, and and uh, you'll see this league just flourish. Yeah. So, what would you say to our listeners who are considering donating to the Player Relief Fund because of the COVID pandemic? What What would you say to them, being one of the forefront leaders in this league? Well, when this all came out, I I, I talked to Larry Land and our our PA. Uh, the head of uh, the PHPA, and and he's been, he's been he does a ton of work for us, and it's, and it's awesome to have a union is is fantastic this level. Um, just so people get a grip on this, like it's not the owner's fault. It's it's yeah, we weren't paid, and it's not it's not a battle there. It's listen, if if our owners were to pay us for three more weeks, they also have to keep us housed. They also, you know, there's there's little things there that they have to cover that if they're not generating revenue, we may lose seven teams, for example, for the next year. So then what? How many? Seven times 25, you know, now you're talking, um, that's, that's uh, 275 jobs lost of players for the next year. Yeah. So now we're losing money. Like, now players are screwed. So... I understand why you have to understand why the league could do this now. Is there some teams that want to? Of course, there's some teams better off than the other. That is what it is. That's no one's business. So, 
when they offer this, now we put a relief fund together. Now some of these owners who can afford it, they can donate to that and and help with, but it's got to be everyone. It can't be teams. If, if we were just able to, I mean, we would have went back to basically year one if if this, if they had to pay us and, and it would have been, it would have been a, a train wreck. So do the guys need the money? Of course. It's, it's, everyone says, well, why can't they get a job? Why can't they? Well, a lot of guys are tr- like, it's like I said, if it's a true three-tiered system, there's guys that have aspirations to play in the National Hockey League. They need to put all they can into in the summer, getting better. And you can't, it's, you can't work nine to five in the summer and train to be a pro hockey player to get the most out of what you want to get. And you got to pay for that. So that's, you know, you work part time, you do camps, you do this and that. But all those things aren't going on right now. Or to even get a, a, a serving job, whatever it may be, odd hours while you can train in the morning and do that. We can't get those jobs now because there is no jobs available. So on top of saying, hey, can I get this job for four months and then I go back to work and then it's tough to get jobs like that. A lot of people that do work for family members, um, stuff like that, where, where they know someone um, who can hook them up with a summer job. So that's why, I mean, it's, it's, it's guys chasing their dream. And it, it's guys that, you know, they're, they're, some have a, I have a family, I have a, I have a one-year-old. Um, um, I do have a psychic. It's, it's, I to get what they can. I've, I've, I'm okay. Like, personally, I'm fine. Yeah, I want I want everyone to take the league as serious as possible, and I want everyone to please make a donation to the Player Relief Fund. Help these people out with their families. Derek Nesbitt of the Atlanta Gladiators, thank you so much for coming on the Tomahawk Roundup. Thanks, Frank. Great talking to you. What's going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by ECHL netminder Ben Halford of the Kansas City Mavericks, the Atlanta Gladiators, and the Jacksonville Icemen. Ben, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. So you spent a lot of time during the 2018-19 season with the Kansas City Mavericks. What is hockey in Kansas City like, given that it's such an unorthodox market as a player? Yeah, I didn't really know what I was uh, getting into when I signed up there, but the hockey market's actually pretty good. Um, I'm going to do a summer camp out there this year. So there's uh, quite a bit as far as youth hockey and with the Blues doing well, St. Louis is only about three hours away, so that's really helped things. Yeah, that's huge. The Blues doing well. I mean, this is that's the Blues have invigorated the Midwest combined with the Chicago Blackhawks' success. 
um, the Blues having kind of taking on that mantle of Midwestern hockey success is going to propel the Midwest forward into the next decade of hockey. So during this abbreviated season, you were down with Jacksonville with the Iceman. How is hockey in North Florida doing right now? And what is the rivalry like between the Iceman and the Orlando Solar Bears? So the Iceman, the Solar Bears, and the Everglades are the three Florida teams. So there's always a pretty good rivalry there. And that Southern division is always a uh, pretty intense, hard-hitting division. But uh, all those all those teams do pretty well fans-wise. We have a great fan base. We have a pretty big rank there. Uh, Orlando plays in the same rank that the Magic use for uh, the NBA. Oh, wow. And Florida always, uh, always sells out their building, too. So... It's actually, a, there's a lot of Northerners down there that have kind of transplanted, and there's a pretty strong uh, hockey fan base. Yeah, so as a player, what does the ECHL mean to you, and what is a highlight your, from your career thus far? Oh, what does the ECHL mean to me? Well, for me, it's, it's a stepping stone. It's a place of opportunity, and it's a chance to keep playing hockey. And for a lot of people, I'm, the road ends at some point, and I have a chance to keep playing past college or past juniors for some of those guys it's uh it's pretty great i know uh and for me as far as uh memory and playing in kansas city last year we had some pretty pretty crazy games with sellouts they sell on most of their games we had uh, our kids day game it's about six thousand kids like incredibly loud everyone up and screaming it's a pretty crazy environment <laughs> that that must be fun experience. energizing as a player to have six thousand kids screaming and going absolutely nuts yeah absolutely yeah so uh so, during your stint in Atlanta with the Gladiators, uh, obviously we know that the NHL has tried to work with a team there and it hasn't been successful. What has it been like uh, post-Blue Land, post-Thrasher era in terms of hockey there? How has is, how is Atlanta adapted in terms of their hockey environment? Uh, Atlanta actually uh, plays in Duluth, Georgia, so it's a suburb. And around that area, which is right where the uh, Thrasher's practice facility was, uh, that area does pretty well. We always had a pretty good... Uh, pretty good group of fans there and did pretty well tickets wise and everything i think when you uh get downtown it's a little bit tougher if there's more options you're competing with the falcons and the uh the nba team there the braves when they're in season then a lot of colleges so it's uh it's a pretty good hockey environment out in the suburbs it's just there's a lot going on downtown and i think where the rink was downtown made it tough for the nhl team yeah, so what would you say to any person considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund as this is the target audience of our show today? Yeah, and there's a lot of guys, and guys with kids, guys that are just married, that were really relying on the uh, that last paycheck or two. And there is about six weeks left in the season and then playoffs, and there's playoff bonuses to go along with that for a lot of guys. And not being able to get that makes it tough for them and their families to just get by. Yeah, anything else you want to add for our listeners from Oregon to Seattle, Mr. Halford? Yes, we appreciate everyone who's donated, everyone who's thinking about donating. It really goes a long way to making a difference for guys that really aren't making that much money over the course of the season. Yeah, any uh, perfect. Thank you so much, Mr. Halford. Stay healthy, and thanks for coming on the ECHL special of the Tomahawk Roundup. Thanks for having me. All right, what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zaraski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL special here with Josh Kestner, 2020 ECHL MVP of the Toledo Walleye. Josh, how are you today? 
How's it going? Good. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, Frank. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how did you get involved in hockey, being from Huntsville, Alabama? Uh, my dad's from uh, around the Detroit area, so he grew up around the game. And he's he's one of uh, 13 siblings, so oh, wow. he, had a lot of, he had a lot of siblings growing up that he could you know play street hockey with and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, when he moved moved down to Alabama and he had uh, me and my older brother, I kind of just looked up looked up to my older brother and wanted to try what he was trying, and uh, he he stepped into hockey and I fell in love with it. Yeah, so you played with the Newfoundland Growlers for their first season, winning the Kelly Cup, being the first Canadian team to do so. What did that mean for the province and the country as a whole? Oh my gosh, it was it was unbelievable. It was a great experience up there. And for those of you who haven't been to St. John's and Newfoundland itself, it's an unbelievable town, unbelievable province. And uh, it was the first pro pro win pro championship win up there, I think, in its history. So I imagine they were uh, they were on cloud nine after we brought home the Kelly Cup, and, and it was uh, it was pretty cool to see that. Uh, it was also the first ECHL team. Uh, for Canadian ECHL team to win it as well. So, um, yeah, it was pretty special. Yeah, it was a lot of fun because I remember watching the St. John's Ice Caps a couple years ago, and when they moved to Laval, I was like, something's got to fill that void in St. John's because they had so much passion for hockey. Describe the, the atmosphere in that town and how that's just rapidly grown. Oh, they just they eat, sleep, and breathe hockey up there. You know, they they don't have a they, – they love uh, George Street. George Street's a, a big – hot topic of, uh, of St. John's along with their hockey and uh, fishing. So uh, there's not a whole whole lot to do up there besides, you know, go to games on Friday and Saturday nights at Mile One Center. And, and you know, they pack the barn all throughout the year and then the playoffs. And they're just they're so passionate about their players and, and their team, and they show it every single day when they come out to our games. Yeah, so during that summer, you guys accidentally broke the Kelly Cup. How did that happen, and how did you all replace that? Um, if we're being honest, I don't fully remember. Um, I know I know it happened relatively early in the week after we won it. Um, I kind of just showed up and saw that it was broken, but we we uh, had some silly putty and some duct tape and some glue and some you know little TLC and tried to you know put it back together and we did the best we could. But uh, but you know it's what happens when you celebrate. Exactly, it's what happens. It's all part of the fun of celebrating as long as part as of the experience. It's exactly part of the experience as long as it's not broken beyond repair, which it sounds like it wasn't because you guys put it back together. It's all great. So what was the mood like coming to Toledo this year, given as part of the Growlers, you had played them in the Kelly Cup final last year? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely different. Um, a little bit awkward as well. I, I mentioned this on a couple other uh, interviews that I was on. Um, just because, you know, I didn't know if there was going to be uh, a cold shoulder from uh, the previous year in the Kelly Cup finals. But everyone that I met, including Pat Angle, who was the first one I met, was actually, you know, welcomed me with open arms. They're very respectful. And, you know, it's, I think it's just more of a hockey thing. You know, people don't hold a grudge. They know it's competitive. It's part of the game. You know, there's got to be a winner and a loser. And, uh, and we, we enjoyed it. We had, we had a good time, uh, you know, talking about the last season, even though it was a little bitter for, for the walleye. But, um, but we, we had a, a good team this year and then looked to, to make a push in playoffs before this uh, pandemic hit. Yeah, and you guys look to be in great position for next season. You guys got all the right pieces with Blake Hillman, um, Brett Boeing, and yourself. going Shifting gears to this season now, although it was abbreviated, you won the ECHL MVP this year, the first Toledo Walleye ever to do so. What was that moment like for you and for the city? Um, it was pretty special. Um, I've, I've never won... Uh, never won 
anything like this before. Um, I actually heard it from uh, my coach about a week before. Uh, my head coach called me saying I'd won it, and I was, you know, kind of blown away by it because there's just so many good players and, and good teams in this uh, in this league. And like I said, it was pretty pretty cool to hear hear your name uh, all over social media after you won it. Um, but the city of Toledo, you know, they they have been incredible all season long, doing um, you know boosters and and taking care of their uh, their players and supporting them. They're, they're just truly the best fans uh, uh, in the league, and to have uh, an MVP for them is, is something cool. Absolutely. So you have your own clothing line with Just Dishin, one of the famous sportswear companies in the world. How did that come about, and where did your clothing side of your personality come from? Um, that actually spurred up pretty recently. Um, like I said, before the pandemic hit, there was, you know, intentions of it going in our local swamp shop and, and, uh, and marketing more towards, uh, around the Toledo community before, you know, this pandemic hit. Um, but my agent actually brought it up, um, after I, I gained a, a little bit of a following in, uh, the Toledo community. So they just brought up, you know, if I, if I had any intentions of creating a clothing line that, um, sort of embrace and express how, uh, my dedication was towards hockey and, and towards the community of Toledo. Um, so, and then when it obviously got shut down because of, uh, uh, this coronavirus, uh, I had to go, uh, away from the Toledo community and back home. And, and so I, I launched it here, uh, a couple of days ago and, and it's doing well, and now I'm just hoping uh, it keeps rolling. Yeah, keep rolling. Keep it out. It's on justition.com. Check it out if you haven't. Prices are affordable. It's a great look, Josh. So what are you looking forward to achieving next season, whether it be in the ECHL, AHL, or the NHL? Um, it's so early. It's so early. I've, I've had that question asked a lot. It's, it's tough to say at this point um, because right now we'd usually be, in, you know, towards the end of the first round or even the start of the second round of playoffs. So it's still so early, and, and summer hasn't really even begun yet. Um, a lot of guys are still, you know, quarantined and, and hanging out, trying to figure out what, what the season is going to be like for the NHL and, and the trickle-down effect. So right now it's just a waiting game, being patient, and, uh, and seeing what offers and opportunities come on the table here. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the ECHL mean to you as its most valuable player this year? Like I said, it's 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 a special feeling. I've I've never won anything like this before. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's just so many so many good players. Like you know, David Valerani, who uh, was run, one of the runner ups um, for Brampton, and then Tyler Shee for for Allen. You know, there's just so many good players that you know, that easily could have won it, and you know, they might as well or they could have uh, with how many games we had left as well. We had I think ten to thirteen games left in the yeah. season. And, and they could have went on a, a hot streak and, and taken over. So it, it would have been anybody's game, and it would have been neat to, to see it through uh, towards the end of the season, but uh, we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know, but we've always got something to look forward to for next year. What would you say to any of our listeners who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Um, I think it's going to a good cause for a lot of good players um, and their families. Uh, like I mentioned earlier as well, it's, it's unfortunate with what this virus is doing. Uh, not just to the hockey community, but to the world itself with the unemployment rate so high. And, and like I said, this is our career. These are our jobs that, that we lost. And, and with not an income coming in at this moment um, due to the virus, it, it certainly helps out those guys in need and those families that, that really uh, depend on it for their for their income. And I think uh, it goes a long way with ever, whatever donations we, uh, we get. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add for our listeners around the world? We've got listeners in Canada, the U.S., and Ireland. 
I, I got nothing. You got anything to, <laughs> to, to share as well or what? No, thank you so much for coming on, Josh. Really appreciate the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. What is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup for another edition of our ECHL special, and I am joined by Tyler Parks of the Rapid City Rush. Tyler, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you are from the St. Louis area. Given the former AHL Pure Rivermen's association to your hometown Blues, how did it impact your time there with the Southern Professional Hockey League's Rivermen? Yeah, it was a really good experience, obviously, you know, growing up uh, being from St. Louis. You know, the Blues are there, and obviously Peoria was the AHL affiliate for them, so it was it was cool uh, right after college to play there for a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of see there's still a lot of roots from when the St. Louis Blues did play out of there, so it was a cool experience. Yeah, so during the 17-18 season, you were with four different teams in two different leagues, three of them being the Reading Royals, Florida Everblades, and Tulsa Oilers of the East Coast Hockey League. How do you as a player keep yourself grounded and focused during all that relocation? Yeah, it's pretty hard, obviously. You know, like like I said, that year I went through uh, all those teams. It was it was um, obviously you know it's a difficult when you're kind of you know going from place to place, kind of living out of a suitcase, and you don't know you know every chance you have to just play like it's your last chance, like your last game that you'll ever play. So I just tried to have that mindset and just tried to have a positive outlook. You know, I knew I wanted to get my slip and go. And I kind of just wanted to prove, uh, you know, prove to all these teams that I have what it takes to, you know, eventually stick there. So Yeah, so you have a really found your game with the Rapid City Rush. What is it about South Dakota and the Coyotes organization that has helped get you in a rhythm? Yeah, it's been awesome. Obviously, before I uh, first started playing in Rapid City, before my first year, uh, a couple years ago, um, I kind of just came in, uh, the coach and I talked, uh, Dan Catro is the coach here, and we kind of talked, and, you know, I just told him, I, I you know, I didn't want to be... I didn't want to be guaranteed a spot. I wanted to come in and work for it, but I just wanted him to guarantee me that, you know, I would get an opportunity to prove myself, and if I played well, then I would stay here. So he was uh, really good, and, you know, I can't say enough good things about him for, for giving me the chance and really being patient with me and letting me prove that I can play at this level. Yeah, so you won your first American Hockey League game during your five-game stint with Tucson. What does that mean to you to have that high-level experience and success? Yeah, it was awesome. Obviously, you know, getting the uh, opportunity in the American League, um, it was it was awesome. Um, it was really cool of them to give me the opportunity. It actually started because the goalie coach from uh, Tucson kind of came down to uh, Rapid City to work with one of their NHL contracted goalies, and then uh, him and I, he saw that I've been playing. Uh, I played a good amount of games and was doing well. So him and I kind of hit it off and and kind of talked from there. And then uh, you know, an opportunity opened in Tucson, and then. Then kind of they called me in, and you know I was kind of up and down throughout this year with them, and it was just an awesome experience to get in there and kind of learn from the veteran guys who've been at that level, and you know what it takes to succeed, and, and how you have to compete day in and day out to stay there. Yeah, um, how was the transition from Rapid City, the Great Plains to the Great Outdoors and the desert? What was the environment change like for you going from South Dakota to Tucson, Arizona? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, the biggest thing there between the, you know, the ECHL and the AHL, I would say is just, you know, there's more staff and, you know, a lot of, a lot, they expect a lot out of you, you know what I mean? I mean, you have like workouts and, you know, they expect you to get your work done. They have a lot of development coaches that are there for you to, to go on early and to stay out late, which is awesome, to, you know, for your development. So I'd say that's the biggest difference, you know, and, and guys at that level, you know, they're so close to the NHL, so everyone day in and day out you know it's really a grind like everyone's intense during practices everyone's intense during games 
know, everyone really plays like it's their last shot, so. Yeah. What, uh, you've been described by all accounts as an incredibly resilient person, player, and individual. How do you keep that being resilient up during the dark times in your career when you get caught, when you have a problem in a league, you know, how do you keep your morale up? Because you've been, you, from all reports I've read, you're one of the most resilient guys in the hockey world. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff from my childhood and, you know, stuff kind of stemmed when I was a young kid getting cut from teams. And it just really wanted me to just prove everyone wrong that said I could never do anything. So it kind of from there, I've kind of kept that, kept that, came, that same uh, mindset and same identity in my game. You know, I want to be, you know, the hardest working guy out there. And I, I want to work harder than the next guy. And I want to prove everyone wrong. And I want to, you know, get as far as I can in hockey. So I think that's allowed me to have kind of a resilient mindset and kind of just, you know, even even when people doubt me or I got cut from a team, I still believe in myself. I'm like, I know I'm happy with all the work I put in. I know I put in the work and, you know, I've just got to keep going. I just got to trust the process and just keep going. Yeah. So what does the ECHL mean to you, like as a player? Because this is this is what this fundraiser is all about. It's to help guys like you with the, the Players Association has started this up. What does the ECHL mean to you? Yeah, the ECHL means a lot to me, obviously. You know, it really kind of gave me the opportunity to, you know, pursue my goals of playing in the American Hockey League. So it means a lot to my career, and it's, you know, it's been helping me develop as a player uh, for the last couple of years. Obviously, you know, playing in the ECHL full-time, it's really meant, meant the world to me. You know, the work ethic, you know, the guys, just as a league. It's a really good league with a lot of talented hockey players in it. What do you wish people would know about the ECHL that most people don't know about it? Sorry, can you say that one more? Sure. Uh, what do you wish that people would know about the ECHL that a lot of people don't know? Yeah, I really wish they'd know. You know, like a lot of guys in this league, you know, they don't make a lot of money and, you know, they work hard, so hard during during practices. You know, we'd get to the rink early. Guys would stay after, work out. You know what I mean? Like we put a lot of effort in, Absolutely. Into, into developing ourselves and to competing day in and day out. And you know what I mean? It's not it's not easy by any means. It's hard, you know, with the travel schedule, a lot of teams bust, so you're traveling, uh, you know what I mean? You play two two games, you play three games in different cities, so it's it's definitely a grind. Guys work hard and they care and they're passionate about it. The three about and three hockey. The three and threes. How are those as a as a professional hockey player? You know the three games and th the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How do you bounce back from each game to each game to each game? Yeah, like I said, it's a, you've got to kind of have a resilient attitude. You know, obviously, you know playing that many games in a weekend, and and sometimes it, when you know since Rapids, since we're like far away from a lot of teams, sometimes we'd have to play three games in three different cities. So it's just like that, you know what I mean? You're traveling, you got to have a resilient mindset where, you know, no matter what happens, you got to come into each game ready to work and just ready to battle day in and day out. So, Yeah, what would you say to any of our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Yeah, I'd say, obviously, I know, uh, you know, a lot of guys are... Uh, PHPA player reps had a lot of calls with the players union and a lot of guys have and, and they just really appreciate this fun and really appreciate what that everyone's trying to help them you know what I mean uh, like I said when we when we were playing we got told on a Saturday I believe it was March 16th that you know we were kind of at a standstill because of the coronavirus and then and then they also told then when the season was finally done they told us on that Monday that our pay that we weren't going to get paid anymore so obviously two days notice found out that you know yeah. the livelihood's over and 
you're not going to get paid anymore is kind of hard for a lot of people, especially guys who are married, guys who have kids, guys who have houses they have to pay for, mortgages. You know what I mean? It's 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 really hard, and it was really devastating on on us players. Yeah, it's it's so much bigger than hockey. You know, with the coronavirus. I mean, what are you most looking forward to when this is all said and done? What are you most looking forward to next season with the Rapid City Rush? Yeah, I think I think I'm just looking forward to you know it was big for our team and we came in with a goal of making playoffs and that was huge because uh, the Rapid City Rush haven't made playoffs in a in a long time so we were sitting in a playoff position uh, when this whole coronavirus things kind of started so I think you're looking forward to you know coming back and and kind of working towards that goal of making playoffs and having a good season. Yeah, anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S. and Canada and beyond? Oh uh, no, I just want to say thank you guys for all your support and uh, obviously all the other players around the league. Uh, appreciate your support too. Yeah, thank you so much, Tyler. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. So what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zaraski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Player Relief Fund Special, joined by Captain Taylor Richard of the Utah Grizzlies. Taylor, how are you today? Doing well. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Love to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. So your Miami Redhawks went to the NCAA tournament three out of four years during your college time. What went right for your team during that run? Um, I think just the, the group of guys that we had. Um, we had a lot of character, team guys. Um, we just wanted it for each other. We knew what everyone was going to bring to the rink every day. Um, it was, and it was just a fun atmosphere. We all just loved each other. We wanted, we had, wanted that same goal. Um, obviously, we never reached it, but a uh, NCAA title. But um, we all had that in mind, and I think we just brought it to the rink every day. Yeah, absolutely. You were a defensive defenseman at Miami of Ohio. That You then ratcheted up your goal scoring once you hit the ECHL. How did you change your style to adapt to the ECHL? Um, yeah, at uh, Miami, I was just kind of, I always do just what the coach wants me to do. Um, at Miami, I was more of a stay-at-home, uh, defend, PK, uh, eat pucks, and then uh, once I got to uh, pro, it was kind of more uh, more freedom and kind of just go, and uh, Coach Branham has kind of just let me go and let me play, and he knows I'm going to be defensive as well, but then put up the numbers if I have to. Yeah, so what is it like playing hockey in Utah with the Grizzlies in such a unique place? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very unique. Um, it's, it's fun. I mean, the, the fans are loud. They love it. They love the hockey. Uh, it's a little different than the small with the football going on with the Utes. Um, it's a big college football area um, where we are, so the rink isn't packed per se um, in the fall, but then once the uh, winter rolls around, um, Usually we get anywhere from five thousand to seven thousand a night. Wow! And on our special specialty jersey nights, uh, anywhere from eight to ten thousand. So it's uh, they they love their hockey. Yeah, they love their hockey. I love my hockey, and I know you do too. You're the captain of the Utah Grizzlies. How did you use your leadership to help the team progress? And what are your goals for next season as captain? Um, I guess I just learned from uh, captains that I've had in the past. Uh, captains from uh, back in Miami and then here uh, uh, before me, the year before me, Tegan Zahn was a captain and he's been around for 10 years so I kind of went under his wing and kind of went from him and then this year just kind of took the reins and um, just used little things from him, things from uh, captains of the past and just also just stuff that I've learned, um, traits that I've had and just 
hard work, uh, happy to be at the rink every day, bring that happy work, hard working atmosphere, um, and just be there for the guys. You know, it's sometimes it's different. Step, guys are shut down, but it's it's still you want your team to be in the same cohesive group. So it's it's a little different, but uh, yeah, just just be, and then just every day I got to show up and work hard. So they hopefully they follow suit. Yeah, absolutely, and that hard work paid off for you because you scored your first American League goal with the San Antonio Rampage. What was that moment like for you, and how did the ECHL prepare you for it? Oh, yeah, that was, that was awesome. Um, it was at the end of my second year. I mean, I was just happy to go get a call up and go play, and then all of a sudden you score, you know, it's, it's something special that I'll always remember. But, uh, yeah, the whole couple years before that, just playing ECHL, I mean, it's a step, um, but I mean, there's so many good players in ECHL and in the Marathon League. So um, I feel like just playing those two seasons had more uh, confidence. And when I got to the AHL, it, was, um, it wasn't that drastic, just due that I knew a couple guys that had been up and down from that year already, and they, they seemed to do well. So I was like, hey, you know, if they're playing well, I, I think I can do it too. And just had that mindset that. Um, everything is going to be fine. Just play your game and go out there and be comfortable. And luckily enough, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? Um, I, I mean, I'm just happy to keep doing what I love. Um, obviously, I'm 28 years old. And, um, to be playing this long is, is awesome. And uh, just doing what I love. Obviously, the money isn't, um, you're not getting, a million bucks like in the NHL, but um, guys, I feel like do it just because they love the game and they're going to play as long as they can. And um, that's what just having fun and doing what I've been doing my whole life, and it's that's what I want to do. And I'm going to do it until it's not. I know my time is done, but just do it until then. Yeah. So, what would you say to our listeners who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Yeah, anything else you want to add for our listeners around the world? No, just uh, thank you. Thank you for all the support. Um, being fans of whatever team you are, um, the Iron the Hockey community is great. Um, we're all in this together. All right, Taylor Richard, captain of the Utah Grizzlies. Taylor, thank you so much for your time. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Special, joined by a Blackhawks prospect, Alex Router of the Indy Fuel. Alex, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. Doing great. Surviving the pandemic as best as I can. (laughs) 
We're all trying, and that's that's the most we can ask out of everyone. So, although you only played six games in Manchester with the Monarchs, what was hockey like in Manchester before the team folded? Honestly, it was kind of a lot like Indy, you know. It was obviously run by the same GM and coach and Doug Christensen, and, you know, the guys the guys kind of had a feeling that, you know, the ship was going down, and, you know, we wanted to go out on top, and that was the plan. You know, we were heating up going into playoffs, and, you know, unfortunately... Uh, I ended up getting dealt at the deadline, but, you know, the, the team ended up going on to take a pretty good run. I think they took Newfoundland to six games, and then Newfoundland ended up winning the whole thing. So, you know, if they had won that series, who knows? Could have been, the cup could have been theirs. The cup could have been theirs in their last season, and that would have been so sweet. So we've talked with guys in the Stampede, but can you tell us about the hockey hub that is South Dakota? <laughs> yeah, it's, you wouldn't believe it, but it's... It's actually insane, especially in, in Rapid. Like, the fans were so passionate, you know? Like, no one has a bad thing to say about the team or the organization, but, you know, the fans especially are what you remember. Like, you know, every game, I think it was sold out. We probably had five or 6,000 people. And, uh, you know, there are no better fan base, I think, than maybe the field is pretty close, but I think the, the Rapid City Rush fans have it down pat. Absolutely. You know, we've talked with a bunch of guys from there, uh, one of them being Tyler Parks. What do you remember about his time with the Rapid City Rush? <laughs> Parks, he's one of my best buddies for playing in the rush. You know, like the guy works so hard. You know, and you can tell just from his game, you can see it in his eyes and the way he plays. You know, he's scrappy. You know, he's had to fight for every second of ice time as a goalie, and you know now he's getting looks at the HL and NHL. So it's really good. You know, I'm happy for him. Absolutely, we will have him on later in the program. So, what are your goals and aspirations for next season, and how do you hope to evolve your game within the Blackhawks organization? Yeah, well, so this year was the the biggest thing for me was. Uh, Coach Christensen switched me to center, kind of giving me a whole new view on my career. And so going into next year, you know, especially going into camp with Rockford and stuff, I'm, you know, I'm really looking to kind of make an impression that I'm a 200-foot player. You know, I want to be reliable defensively, especially on the penalty kill. You know, that's, that's a place kind of where my role is expected. Usually I was more of an offensive guy, but now in order to move the levels, you know, you want to show me you're a 200-foot player. So exactly. I'm going mm-hmm, to try to be good on the penalty kill and in the face-off circle and take it from there. Absolutely. So you really started to hit your stride with the Blackhawks organization this year, scoring 11 goals in 27 games played. What clicked with you in Indianapolis? It was, it was kind of weird and circumstantial. But yeah, as soon as I got there, for whatever reason, uh, Coach Christensen, he was like, yeah, we're kind of short on centers tonight. Like, would you want to try it? Because, you know, he said, you know, he said I thought uh, because I was a decent skater and can move the puck, he thought I'd be good at it. And so I was like, all right, yeah. And honestly, the position switch was the biggest thing. You know, I just felt I had the puck more. I was carrying the puck more. And I just, you know, started to gain confidence. And, you know, it kind of helped me to be behind the play. You know, like as a center in the defensive zone, you're really low. And then once you get into the offensive zone, I kind of found myself more in the slot and I had more chances to score. So it was, it was pretty cool that way. Yeah, and your stats went shot up right after the trade. So Blackhawks fans, keep an eye out for Alex Rauder in Rockford next year. So what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? Oh, it's, it's so important to me. It's just mostly because, you know, it's where I got my start. I mean, I know a lot of guys, you know, they get to start in the AHL or the NHL. And, but, you know, a lot of guys are going up and a lot of guys are going down. You know, it's just... It's really, it's pretty cool to see how, you know, a lot of guys, especially in the NHL, have been, you know, implemented or they've really been touched by the ECHL in some way, you know. And so for me, it's it's really cool because this is where I got my start and, you know, hopefully I can continue my career upwards. But, you know, so many people have a time stamp in the ECHL and, you know, I think it's really important for people to, you know, kind of learn about it because, you know, not too many people understand really what the league's about. You know, it's all about development and for the fans and it's, it's really cool. 
Yeah, so what would you say to any of our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a really big deal. Thank you for bringing that up, yeah. If you're a fan of hockey, if you're a fan of an NHL team and you want to help that team in any way, I think the biggest thing you could do would be supporting their prospects. You know, a lot of the young guys here, you know, they're not getting paid. They're, they still have to pay, whether it's student loans or like car payments or cell phone payments. You know, there's a lot of things that these guys have to take care of, and especially... If you think about moving into the summer, you know, if the AHL doesn't get underway, you know, pretty soon, I think, you know, a lot of guys are going to be stuck trying to pay for their training, you know, themselves. They're not going to get enough ice time in the summer. So if you want, you know, your team to be flourishing, I would highly suggest that, you know, you put a little money into the ECHL player relief fund. You know, we're not asking for anything crazy, you know, like $10, $15 in every person. That would be really cool. So, you know, that'd be sweet to see. Yeah. Anything else you want to say to our Blackhawks fans, listeners around the U.S., Canada, and Ireland? <laughs> uh, I would just say thank you for all the support. You know, it's cool to, to reach everyone. And, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, we'll say go Blackhawks. You know, I think it's been a couple down years, but I think the boys are going to turn it around. Yeah, and with you leading the helmet center, we need some new centers. So, Alex Router, the Indy Fuel. Alex, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. What is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Special, joined by Justin Vibe of the Cincinnati Cyclones. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so your first interview was with Tommy Wingles, your old captain at Miami, Ohio. What was he like as a player leader on and off the ice? Um, he was a player that, uh, you know, went out there every game and just kind of, you know, put it all in there. He never uh, never was the flashy guy or the guy looking for any accolades or praise after games, but uh, he scored a lot of big goals, made a lot of big plays uh, over our four years or three years that he was there. Um, but he was that's just kind of the player he was. Uh, you know, he gave, out, gave his all every game and uh, it was the same off the ice. Uh, he loves kind of joking around, giving the guys crap. He's uh, extremely sarcastic, uh, which we got along really well. Uh, we lived together actually for two of the years he was there. Um, but overall, he was you know a, a great guy, a great captain, and uh, at the rank he was business. He uh, put the work in, and ultimately it paid off for him. Yeah, so you were both the captain and an assistant coach with the Cyclones. How did that opportunity for you come about? Um, I city's kind of been a place where I found myself multiple times over my career. Um, it's when I was with the uh, Florida Panthers organization when they were affiliated there. I started there. I'm out of Miami, so I'm comfortable there. I've, I've known a lot of the people there, and uh, you know I've put a lot of years in there. And I was fortunate enough to be named captain, and at the same time, um, you know, being an older guy and in the ECHL level, you don't have a lot of help uh, when it comes to video and preparation and game planning and uh, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the other leagues, you have multiple coaches all doing different things. You have a video coach, you have a strength coach, you have everything. Um, so in our league, it's kind of the two coaches uh, that are full-time are, you know, spending all their time coaching, <laughs> doing the, the game planning and the video and stuff like that. So, um, you know, being comfortable with everybody and being around so long, I was just kind of given the opportunity to start learning that side of the things, um, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff and how, you know, the waiver wire works and transactions and all that kind of stuff and the salary cap and uh, just in hopes that, you know, it's kind of like a little job training or, a, you know, internship, you could say. 
Yeah, and I really like that mentality you have. It's a job training. You're always looking forward to the next thing. So shifting gears a little bit to your American League career, you've been in both Bridgeport and Hartford, Connecticut with the Sound Tigers and the Wolfpack. How has hockey changed in Hartford after the Whalers left, and what is the rivalry like between those two teams? I can only imagine if those two teams meet Bridgeport and Hartford, those the, that would be a battle for the ages. So being a part of the Cyclones organization for the better part of six seasons, somewhere that you, like you have said, have become very comfortable as a part of, what has been your favorite memory in Cincy? Yeah, congratulations again on 500 professional games, doing that at home. That, that's, a, that's a very special moment. So what does the ECHL mean to you as a player and a longtime member and now a coach of the ECHL? Yeah, absolutely. Shifting a little to the pay now, what would you say to any of our listeners, because this is the focus of our segment, considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Um, I mean, 
enjoy coming to the games and you love a team in the league. Like I said, it doesn't have to be Cincinnati. It's any team in the league or a player or whatever it is. Um, it's something that's benefiting everybody. You know, with the closing of the league and the loss of salaries, um, obviously it, it was unfortunate and I understand it. And then all I said, we just kind of got to deal with it now. But uh, we're not fortunate enough to have the financial means of a league like the NHL or NBA where they can afford to sit out and still play the players, which we everybody understood. Um, but, you know, being able to start this relief fund, it, it could mean a lot to guys uh, that had mortgages or that were banking on that money for car payments or, you know, moving, whatever you have it is. It's, it's something that will go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm contributing as well to the ECHL Player Relief Fund. And that's why I started this show. Justin, anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and beyond? Thanks for having me out. I appreciate you bringing light to the uh, relief fund. You know, it's something that um, myself and a lot of the guys in the league have, you know, really been focused on and really uh, just excited to see where it can where it can go. Uh, you know, we appreciate all the fans out there, uh, big or small, whatever donation that they give. Uh, you know, we appreciate it, and uh, we hope to see everybody back on the ice in October. Absolutely, Justin Vibe of the Cincinnati Cyclones. Justin, thank you so much for the time. What is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Special, and I am joined by Josh Couturier of the Maine Mariners. Josh, how are you today? I'm good, good, good. How are you? Good. Great to have you on. So before you joined the Mariners, you were in West Virginia with the Wheeling Nailers. How is hockey in West Virginia doing? Um, I mean, I didn't really know much about it. I mean, I got there... Um... I mean, it's just it's just like going, for me, it's just like going to another city playing hockey. I mean, the fans, where Wheeling's located, we had fans come from Pennsylvania and Ohio. Oh, wow. Because it was, it was 15 minutes both ways, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but there was a good community there, um, and they really uh, backed, got back behind the uh, nailers back then when I was playing for them. Absolutely. So growing up in the New England area, what were the emotions like when you were traded back to almost home, and how did you find out? excited i mean uh, the coach at the time for wheeling he said you know if i had the opportunity to trade you closer to home like I, uh, he said he would um so it was kind of wild um we were in wheeling so it's like we left on a wednesday or whatever to uh, do our east coast swing with worcester match when they were in the league and then maine so you know we played worcester friday match saturday and then maine we played them at 3 p.m on a sunday um hopped on the bus right after that like 18 hours home in a snowstorm or back to Wheeling, I should say, and then, um, you know, it's Monday, we woke up, kind of out to dinner with some guys, and I get a call from Coach, he goes, hey, uh, you know, I told you if I, tra- if I had an opportunity to trade you closer to home, I would, um, I just traded you to Maine, he was, he was like, you know, you gotta leave tomorrow, so I was like, holy cow, I gotta go all the way back, but like, <laughs> I was like, pretty excited, so... You know, packed my car next day, um, hopped hopped in the car, drove five hours to Allentown, um, had to stay overnight because the snow was so bad. Oh, well, yeah. Um, so that was Tuesday. Got up Wednesday morning around four, drove like the rest, which was like six and a half, close to seven. Um, got to Portland around 12 noon, and uh, just so happened we had a game that night against Worcester. So uh, go, like got into my apartment, and then I was able to uh, play that night. Wow. So, and then we went on a, 
12 day road trip the next day. So it's pretty wild. That that is pretty wild. Just going from one city to another city. Oh, and by the way, you're going on a 12 day road trip. That that's that's one way to start a new team. Want to shift gears a little bit to your general manager. We've had your general manager in front of the show, Daniel Breer on the show. What does he like to work with and learn from? Oh, I mean, um, Dan, Danny's unbelievable. I mean, everyone in, in, in uh, Maine, like staff from head to toe, is is, un, is unbelievable. Um, especially Danny. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to Philadelphia Flyers camp. Um, you know, as soon as I rolled into town, you know, Danny asked me if I want to go out to dinner. So just kind of get the lay of the land. Like, I went over his house. I mean, he's just, he's a great guy. I mean, you know, as we all know, who listen to the show and anyone who played hockey, they know the name Daniel Breyer and they know how great of a hockey player he was. Um, but it's the things off the ice he does. I mean, he's just, he gives back to the community. Um, you know, he's, he's going back to school um, to get his degree. Like, it's just the stuff that he does for the team, he makes sure we're all always well taken care of. Um, he's an unbelievable guy and a great uh, general manager for sure. Absolutely. So just touching on what you were talking about, you were at Flyers Development Camp this year. How did that help your game, and what did you take away from it? Um, it was definitely, um, you know, I honestly, like I didn't expect there to go and make the team. Um, I think that would be reaching a little too far, but I definitely wanted to go in there and kind of be a sponge. Um, I got to meet a lot of great guys. I was just you know, hope trying to show them what I had, you know, I mean, a guy, I think there was, there was one or two other guys there from the coast. Um, so we kind of were like sticking together. Um, but who have, they have been there before. So I was just trying to take it all in. Um, I ended up playing in the rookie game, which was great. Um, made it to main camp and then, um, you know, I was there for a couple or at least another couple of weeks, and then it was time for me to go back to God's country. Yeah, go back to God's country. So what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? Obviously, you know, it's not happening right now. What does it mean to you? Um, it's, it's, it's a great league. I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about the league, how, like, oh, it stinks or whatever. But, I mean, this is a developmental league. Um, I mean, you, I, I can give you a couple examples off the top of my head. I mean, our assistant captain, Terrence Wallet. I mean, the guy started out in the SP, made it to the coast, and then he made it to the A last year. Um, wow, so that's a journey. Yeah, I mean, guys, We, I mean, I think as you know, I mean, with this whole thing going on, the guys don't play for the money. Um, we play because we love the game, uh, our passion for the game, and we want to develop and try to take our game to the next level. Obviously, you know, with... COVID coming around and the season getting canceled, that, that hurts a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but the league as a whole is great. Um, I love what they're doing. I love where it's going. Um, and I'm excited to see uh, what the future holds for the league. Yeah, what do you what do you think the future holds for the league? If you're if you're if you're if you have a crystal ball, what do you think the future holds for the league, especially in Maine? Um you know I think the the peak has has we've hit the peak with this. Um, I think we're starting, um, you know, I'd say maybe another month or so, a couple of weeks before the economy gets going. I mean, we're kind of just following suit with like the NHL. So, uh, if I had to guess, I would say if I did have a crystal ball, that the season may start a little later than projected. But you know, I I have no idea. I'm in the dark on that just as much as everyone else. Absolutely. So what would you say to any of our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? I, I would just say really really take a step back and 
you know, what does what does the ECHL do for you? What is your team you support? You know, what do they do? For, what do they bring for you? What do they do for you? I mean, you know, an example. I got a buddy. Um, you know, the guys the guys getting married this summer. Um, you know, for him to miss out on, you know, paychecks and then potential playoff paychecks. I mean, it hurts. I mean, what is he gonna? He's gonna pay for a wedding, you know. Yeah, so, that's that. Those uh, don't come cheap. All I would say is every every little bit helps, and we appreciate everything that everyone's doing. You know, with the spit checklets, um, what they're doing, the PHPA. Um, so every little bit helps. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah. Anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and Ireland? Um. Honestly, uh, I would just like to thank our. Our Mariners fans this year, they were great. Best fans in the league. And uh, go Mariners. Absolutely. Josh Couturier, the main Mariners. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks, man. So what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL special. And I'm joined by Tyra Poulsen of the Worcester Railers. Tyra, how are you tonight? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, good to be uh, back in Denver, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, how how does the high altitude affect your training? Like, how, take us through that because you're from Denver. How does that impact your training in the summer? Um, I, I'd say it takes uh, an impact um, when you get back and you take like a little bit of a vacation and and you know take a little break and then you start training again. Then you can really feel it. But when you're actually in in shape and in uh, you know preseason training and stuff like that. You kind of get uh, used to it, and it and it comes more of um, a good feeling, and you, and you get used to it pretty quickly, and it, you can't really tell the difference. But one difference that I do know notice quite a bit is when I do train here over the summer and, and run and skate with my uh, my buddies here. Uh, when I actually go to the location I'm playing or or camp that I attend, uh, that's when you can tell the first session is normally a little bit easier than than normal because you're. You know, you're breathing pretty well if it's at sea level. Okay, that makes sense because I've never been to Denver, but I completely understand it. I want to shift gears now to your time in Rapid City. I want to ask you about an absolutely gorgeous goal that you scored against Utah in March of 2019 with Rapid City. You were at a two-on-two and pulled a toe drag on the defender and fired it past the goaltender. Where does your on-ice creativity come from, and how did you go about doing it on the spot there? Um, I just... I would just say that the on-ice creativity comes from just years of, you know, watching watching NHL players, watching, you know, players around the league do things like that as well. And when you're growing up, um, you see things that these guys do and you give them a try. And, and, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, so it's more of a practice and, and, and you know, failure, or failure, it works out kind of deal. Um, Funny story, actually, that uh, defenseman, I, I remember that goal. Um, he's a good buddy of mine, Taylor Richard. Um, he's been on Utah, and he's, a, he's an amazing guy, and he's a really good hockey player as well, and a great leader. I played with him at Aberdeen uh, before college and um, before pro, and then I, I ended up playing against him, and I scored that goal. And um, You know, it's just, it's just good to see guys run the league with skill like you, and you play against them, and you know, that was a, it, was, it was a pretty it was a pretty fun goal. I think we were we, we were tied three three, and I got in. We were, we went up in four um, three. But I just I just enjoy you know hockey, and I love the game, and I love 
making cool things happen as well as, as probably many others do. Yeah, we actually interviewed Taylor as part of this segment, so stay tuned for that in the show if it hasn't come on already. What was the change in scenery like from South Dakota to the East Coast? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm born and raised on, in, on the West Coast kind of guy, um, and then I went to college in Alabama, but I, I, when I went to Rapid City, it was more of a familiar scene than, uh, or same as uh, Denver, I say, uh, with the mountains and the Black Hills. Um, it was more of an open space, more of an out, outdoor state, so I kind of fit in pretty well. Um, and, and then going to, to Boston and, and to Worcester, uh, I mean, I'm from Denver, so Boston was, was, is definitely the oldest city in the United States, and it was really cool to see those old buildings and, and you know, how condensed everything was. I hadn't, I hadn't really been on the East Coast in my career, and, you know, going up there, it's just, it's, it's beautiful, too. You, get, you, you meet a lot of people, and you're, you're right in the heart of, you know, downtown Worcester, and the guys were great, so we always went out and stuff, and it was, uh, you know, I really liked the change. I, I really did, and I'm, I'm happy to be there. Yeah, so you played alongside an ECHL MVP at Alabama, Josh Kestner, who was also on the ECHL program of the Tomahawk Roundup. What was he like off the ice? Oh, I I think that he could be one of the best people that I, best person and best humans that I I, I have ever met. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to say, and I'm glad to have him as a friend. And you know, I I, can, I keep in touch with him very often. Uh, playing alongside him was was like nothing else either. I mean, the guy is just a natural goal scorer. And, but off the ice, I actually uh, stayed with him. We, uh, I went to school about three months early one year, and his family and him had, had taken me in and let me live at their house for, for a good while of that summer while we trained and got ready for that senior season. Um, when we both, had, we both did very well, and, you know, I, I just can't thank their family and him enough for letting me do that. So I, I'm, I'm going to have him as a friend for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm just so proud of what he's done as well, you know, with Toledo and, you know, his contracts and stuff. He's, it, it, it just, he's earned it. He's earned that and he deserves everything because he puts in the work. And as it, it, you don't, you don't want to see anything better happen to a human when, it, when he's a good person. Absolutely. It's, it's great. Yeah, so what does the ECHL mean to you as a player? Like, a lot of people don't know about it, especially in the Chicagoland area because we have the Blackhawks and the Wolves. They don't look beyond that. But what does the ECHL mean to you? I mean, I, it, it was a step after college that I really wanted to, uh, to go to. I mean, obviously your goal is the NHL and, and the American League, if not that, and then the East Coast would be that. Um, I think it's a, a great, a great league. I mean, you see players go up and down to the American League. You see guys go to the NHL out of out of the East Coast League. Um, it's it's a it's a great league, and you know you, you see these guys who have success and then move on. And I think what it means to me is it, it's a, it's amazing. I I love the game, and for the opportunity to play in the league, it's still you know a great thing. And I, I don't want to stop playing hockey. So I, I, I will play there and hopefully still, you know, improve myself to make it to the American League. But I think that the guys that are there, you know, young kids on American League deals or NHL contracts to get, you know, they don't make the, their team and they don't make the American League team and they go to the East Coast, they, they still work hard and, and, and they try and get up. And, 
You know, I think it's a it's a great it's a great league. There's great people in it, and there's there's unbelievable players in it. I mean, you look around the league, and guys are you know scoring crazy goals in this league too. And you know, it's it's a I think it's fun. It's great, and it's it's experience. That's for sure. It's experience, and that's what matters because it is a development league, and the the goal is to improve players and help them out in any way you can. What would you say to our listeners who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund? Um, I I would say that you know um, if, if you if you decide to donate um thank you um and you know some some guys need need the relief and you know some guys may not need the relief um you know or or but we were we were all planning on getting those last couple of paychecks and then the, the coronavirus hit and kind of set us all back a little bit there and you know you guys going to playoffs could have made some extra money and you know stuff like that but I think that. Um, Mainly the guys who have families or you know houses or, or loans. You know I have a loan on my truck that I'm trying to uh, to pay off, and you know I can't get a job here because the governor, you know, the, the governor and stuff, and President Trump is not letting us you know go go find jobs and stuff right now. So um, it would it, it 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 really helps us out. That's for sure. Um, but I think the guys that you know need it the most it, it, it could help a lot and you know it, it's it, it's a big thing so i i hope that we can receive something and um you know move on from this coronavirus and i hope we have a season next year too that's that's the most main part of it yeah we will have a season next year if it doesn't start on time it doesn't start on time but we will have an east coast hockey league season tyler poulson of the worcester railers anything you want to add for our listeners around the u.s canada and beyond I just want to say thank you for, for listening and tuning in, and, and thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Um, you know, I've, I've had a couple, rough couple of weeks here myself, and I'm sure everybody else has, so just uh, we'll all get through it together. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler Poulsen of the Worcester Railers. Tyler, thank you so much for the time. Yes, thank you. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the ECHL special of the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by the voice of the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, Jordan Coons. Jordan, how are you today? Fine and away. That seems to be my catchphrase uh, over the past year or two. But fine and away. I know this isn't easy on anybody right now and, and hoping everyone's staying safe out there. So fine and away. I hope you are too. Absolutely. Fighting away. So what is the rivalry like between the Swamp Rabbits and the Stingray in South Carolina? Uh, it's a big one. And it, it goes back 10 years essentially when the Swamp Rabbits, uh, then called the Road Warriors, came back into the league. It's, it's our intrastate rivalry. You know, that is uh, one of our two biggest. I would say Atlanta is probably the biggest one. Um, but the Stingrays are basically kind of a blueprint, right? They have done it well in Charleston uh, for a long time. They've won championships. Uh, and we, with the Swamp Rabbits, want to get to that point, too. So uh, it's a rivalry of almost like the big brother against the little brother kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and we want to get to that point and... Uh, say that we're on equal footing and obviously we don't have the time in the, you know the time equity that the stingrays have had um, but we're getting there yeah you're getting there you, you guys got a great fan base and a establishment set up in south carolina so how did you get into the play-by-play business and what has been your most exciting moment that you've called all right so how i got into it uh, i'm an introvert doing an extrovert's job i'm not afraid to, to say that uh, so it doesn't make a lot of sense that I'm in this business, 
but the way I see it, um, and I saw it back when I was a, a high school student, was this essentially performance art. You know, that I had, I felt like I had the personality, um, that if I worked at it hard enough, I could find a way to, to get into the business. And it, it took uh, a long time. It took, you know, going through high school. I wanted to be a writer first. I wanted to go into sports writing. And I was told that the newspaper route was not going to be great because the future of newspapers was kind of bleak. And that is exactly what happened. Um, so sports broadcasting became a thing. I went to Millersville University in central Pennsylvania. Um, and honestly, I, I graduated at the thick of the recession. So there weren't a lot of jobs open uh, and competition's fierce. Uh, so it took me a couple of years to get into what was uh, uh, summer league baseball. Hmm, excuse me, summer league baseball at the Lexington County Blowfish. Uh, and then turn that into junior hockey for three years with the Dubuque Fighting Saints, and then uh, I'll be entering my third season here uh, in Greenville. So uh, the journey has found me here. It's it's kind of a gamble I took on myself, um, but it's one that has definitely paid off and one I enjoy uh, being a part of. Absolutely, and it looks like it's definitely paid off because you're the voice of the Swamp Rabbits, and they're having a very successful run. So tell us about your show, Down the Rabbit Hole, and when and where it airs, and how we can listen to it, Tomahawk Roundup listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I started this uh, essentially to, to keep people satiated throughout the, this madness right now. I know that uh, people need some good news to listen to, some different issues. Maybe they're doing the dishes or cleaning the house, and they just need... Uh, something in the background, something uplifting. Uh, and for those that are interested in Greenville hockey, I talk to those people that are uh, truly entwined with it and really explore uh, what has made them themselves over the course of their lives or uh, where they find themselves today. I mean, I've talked with Travis Howe, uh, one of our more popular players. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't go the college route. He didn't go... He was in major junior for like a handful of games. He just jumped straight into the pros. Oh, wow. He's really, uh, he's, he's a fighter for sure. He's one of the last of his breed, so to speak. But uh, he is an upstanding community presence. He's an upstanding guy. He's a guy you want in your locker room. And I love having him. So, you know, going through that or someone in the community, uh, one of our biggest sponsors is Bonsacor. They're in the healthcare industry. Uh, so talking to them about how they're handling the, the coronavirus and all of that. So uh, I've gone down several different avenues uh, to try and tell the stories of people involved with Greenville hockey while we have no hockey going on. Yeah, and that's that's really admirable. You know, it's you're trying to fill the void, if you will, telling about Greenville hockey when there is no hockey, like you said. Right. What was the environment like after the affiliation with the Hurricanes was announced, completing the tier, uh, the three-tier system for hockey in the Carolinas? Yeah, that was a, a big move for us, and I remember that day distinctly when the affiliation agreement was signed. It added an air legitimacy uh, to our team. Uh, it was one thing that was a big plan of ours after going a year independent. It was uh, formerly the affiliate of the New York Rangers, and since a lot of teams want to be more regional in their affiliations, felt that Carolina was a very good fit. Uh, but the problem was that the Hurricanes had a 20-year-long relationship with the Florida Everglades. And so eventually and finally, after the ownership structure changed with the Hurricanes, they became open for business as the Blades then partnered with the Nashville Predators. So when that opening 
came to the forefront. Huge opportunity for our team to jump on. We did just that and got very good caliber players, quality players into our lineup. And that was a huge help for us to be uh, in the playoff picture throughout the entire year. With the season being abruptly canceled, of course, uh, we finished in third place in the South Division uh, and would have marked our return back to the playoffs, which would have been huge for us. I was really looking forward to a nice playoff run. Unfortunately, not the case uh, because health and safety takes precedent. Totally understood. It's just uh, you almost want to know where you stand at the end. No one's ever really felt like this in a long time where you either want to know if you're the champion or if you're not. And there's no closure for anybody because yeah. nobody won and nobody lost. It's it's a real uh, strange place we all find ourselves in. Yeah, so what does the ECHL mean to you? Obviously, you know, you were saying, you know, you had been with the Swamp Rabbits uh, for a couple of years now. What does it mean for you to be a part of such a great league? What does the ECHL mean to you? So I interned with the Reading Royals. I'm a Philly area native, first and foremost. Uh, and in my sophomore year in college, I interned with the Reading Royals, uh, who were then the dual affiliate of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins. Um, and you don't see dual official affiliations anymore. So that was one of the last of its kind. Um, but it was there that I made a lot of connections to people who have moved forward in the business right now and knowing that it's possible to go this avenue and know that it's possible uh, and, and that's just even in a selfish career sense but what we've seen in the improvement of this game you know the, the game perhaps that i saw back in 2010 would have been the 09 10 season and what kind of quality play we see now this league's legitimacy has grown tremendously over the past 10 years, that this is a place, a true breeding ground for potential pro prospects, that they'll spend a year here and then potentially move up to the American Hockey League, be very good impact players, and have a shot at the NHL. This is a place where talent is, no question about it. It just comes down to being in the right place at the right time. So I'd say that this league has certainly uh, grown in its profile. It's grown in its, in its importance. You know, some, uh, I would say probably in the past, some prospects were, you know, this is where their career went to die, but it's not anymore. This is where careers grow. And I'm happy to be a part of, you know, teaching these players in some way, shape or form how to be professional uh, in interview settings or anything like that. Uh, whatever part I can play uh, to make that possible here in Greenville. Yeah, absolutely. Contributing to the success of the players. And it's a development league, and it's we're working to develop the players. Uh, it's not where prospects go to die, like you said. You know, what would you say to our listeners who are considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund to help the players that you work with? Well, uh, a couple of things on that. I know that it certainly was... Uh, it was set up, and it was a, a crucial, uh, a crucial, uh, I'd say, crutch, for lack of better words, for uh, some players that, as of right now, essentially their livelihoods have been taken away. Uh, a lot of them uh, work in different fields throughout the summer uh, back in their, their hometowns, and that's been taken away from them, as has been a, a, a significant chunk, I'd say one-sixth, perhaps, of their potential earnings. Um, and I would say that you know, these players need help 
uh, in terms of getting through this to survive financially heading into this upcoming season. Uh, I know for a fact that our ownership with the Swamp Rabbits has uh, donated to this. I know that uh, our fans have certainly taken a hold to this and have donated as well. I intend to do the same uh, to help our players. And, and even if it's not our players, just help any of the players. Whatever this money goes towards is worthwhile. These players certainly put on a good show for us. Uh, and we spend our hard-earned money to, to support the team. But let's support some of the players that have basically had their livelihoods taken away from them if you can financially afford it. Uh, it goes a long way. I, I feel that these guys are worth it. They're they're great community assets and will continue to be for years to come. But let's help those that, that need it right now. And I feel that these are some guys that certainly uh, could use the help. I couldn't agree with you more. Just the, like you said, I was talking with another guy who said he literally had two days when he found, to get his affairs in order before his livelihood was taken away for the rest of the season. And we we really need to help them. So any donations you can make to the ECHL Player Relief Fund, I know I will be donating. I'm glad to hear you're donating. Is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and Ireland? Well, uh, certainly thank you if you want to tune in. Of course, uh, down the rabbit hole, if you search it on Google, uh, you can find it. It's on Anchor, but it's just uh, been available on Google Podcasts, so you can find it there. Soon to be on Apple Podcasts as well. Give that a subscribe. Uh, go Swamp Rabbits. I'm, I'm happy uh, we had the chance to chat. Um, it's certainly an honor to, to represent the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. We're looking to have a great year uh, this upcoming season and, and really build something uh, to write home about. I'm, I'm excited to, to see where we go as an organization. But I think first and foremost, we have to take care of our own. We saw, um, I, I'm not really, it's not a fair comparison, certainly, but I remember when the humble bus crash tragedy happened a few years ago that we saw people from all walks of life donate over a million dollars to this, uh, to the recovery uh, of those lives that were shattered, essentially. And we saw the power of the hockey world. There's no doubt in my mind that hockey fans are a different breed. They're ones that are giving, that they're kind. And this is what we need right now. We need that kindness to come through for our players and, and to, to show the power of what the hockey world uh, can can bring. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, and let's uh, let's make this happen. Let's get back to playing again because uh, I'm going a little bit stir-crazy. Yeah, same here. Uh, Jordan Coons of the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. What is going on, guys? This is Frank Zaraski here with the Tomahawk Roundup ECHL Special, and I'm joined by Les Lancaster of the Allen Americans of the East Coast Hockey League. Les, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, my man? Good. Doing great. So what was the adjustment like to the high altitude of Denver, and how did, to the, and how did the altitude help your game? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's actually uh, you know, funny you say that. I went to, I went to college at Mercier's for three years, and... and and played there, and then uh, you know, with Air Force being in our conference, you know, I made a made a trip out to Air Force once, and um, you know, the weekend that we were there, you know, it was, it was tough at times because you know we weren't used to the altitude, and um, eventually when I transferred to to Denver, you know, getting acclimated to it, you know, the first couple days you probably uh, you know don't really notice it, but about the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day is when you know you really start to get winded and all that, and. Um, 
you know, skating, you know, skating in the high altitude every day, working out every day. I mean, it's definitely such an advantage, you know, for us or, uh, you know, you know, just like the avalanche, you play there all the time. Absolutely. Just, yeah. You know, teams that come in, I mean, it, depending on how long they stay, they may not feel it the first day or two, but you know, if they're there for a couple of days, you know, they're definitely going to be uh, winded and, you know, definitely an advantage for us. Absolutely. So you played alongside Blackhawks, Blackhawks prospect at Denver in Ian Mitchell. What is he like off the ice as a leader? Oh, uh, Mitchie, he's probably one of the best leaders that I've ever been uh, a part of. Um, you know, he was actually named captain this past year at Denver. Um, he was an assistant when I was there for my year, and uh, he's just all around such a good kid. I mean, he does all the details right, and um, he actually, you know, just signed with Chicago, so I'm very happy for him. He's such a good kid, and he deserves everything that comes his way. Absolutely. So I've heard about the vibrance of hockey with the Allen Americans from around the league. What is the mood like from your home perspective inside Allen Event Center on a Friday night when you got a home game? Oh, man, I absolutely love Allen. Um, you know, it was actually – one of the most fun years of hockey I've, I've probably had. Um, you know, Allen in itself in the city is, is awesome. So even away from the rink, you know, we're just having so much fun, good weather all the time, you know, and then you do come to the rink. We have such a nice facility, nice locker room, good coaching staff, good medical staff, equipment manager. Um, we have such supportive fans too. So top to bottom, I mean, Allen is probably one of, you know, the premier places to play in the coast and, um, it's so much fun, and I just, you know, like I said, I, I enjoyed coming to the rink every day and then getting to play, you know, on, on the weekends at home. Um, you know, I think we had one of the best home records, you know, throughout throughout the league, and um, it, it was it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. I have nothing bad to say about Allen. Absolutely, and that's what I've heard from around the league. The energy there in Toledo, I've heard, is unmatched in the coast. So you got your first call-up with the American League's Iowa Wild this year. What were the emotions like for you getting the call, and how did the ECHL help prepare you for the American League? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously that's the goal, you know, of any of any uh, player, you know, is to try to play at the highest league that they can. And, um, you know, I was succeeding uh, pretty well in Allen to start the year, which was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, talking to Marty, our, our head coach and all that, I think it was kind of a matter of time. And, um, you know, Minnesota and I think Iowa had some injuries and, you know, I was able to get called up and, um, you know, it was pretty surreal at first, you know, just, you know, something you work hard for. It's like, you know, nice to be noticed and, and recognized. And, and I was really excited for the opportunity. And, um, you know, I knew a lot of those guys from, you know, Minnesota's camp and then Iowa's camp, you know, so it was a lot more comfortable than just going into some uh, some new team. So, you know, I, I did know those guys, so I was excited just to get the opportunity to go up, see those fellas, and, um, you know, just kind of start that, that yeah, part of my career. Absolutely, and we're looking forward to seeing more of you in the American League next year. What are your goals uh, when you make the Iowa Wild next year? Like, what are your goals when you make the team? How do you, how do you have that mindset to transition to the next level of hockey? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's tough, you know, for sure. It, you know, this year was different with me going up and down, um, you know, quite a, quite a bit. And, um, you know, next year I, I obviously want to try and stay in the American League, you know, throughout the, throughout the entire year. And, um, you know, that's something I think I'm definitely capable of doing. Um, you know, it's just coming uh, with a good mindset every day, you know, to work and, you know, got to work hard. I mean, you know, one thing that was uh, – um, pretty eye-opening at the beginning of the year you know just how how good these guys really are you know even just from the college level um, you know playing at Denver you're obviously playing with 
pretty elite college players. Absolutely. You know, playing in such a good conference and all that, then you make make the transition to the pro level and you know it's still another bump up so you know you gotta gotta come ready to work and uh you know work hard yeah so what does the echl mean to you as a player oh i mean you know without the you know without the echl and you know the success i had there i you know i certainly wouldn't have had um you know the the chance to go you know to get called up to the american league i mean you know, even when Iowa sent me back down, I got called up to San Antonio for two weeks. You know, I got, you know, sent back down there and then I got called back up to Stockton. Um, you know, so just having, you know, that, uh, you know, I, the, the thing with Marty is, is he's so good. He has so many connections and all that. And, you know, without, without Marty, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be in the position that I am. And, um, you know, coming back to Allen, a place that I was comfortable in, uh, you know, a system that really fit my game. Um, you know, it, the coast, like, really, you know, was able, uh, or it, it set me up to succeed and get me to the American League. Yeah, so what would you say to our listeners considering donating to the ECHL Player Relief Fund to help guys like yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's definitely a tough situation for everybody, and, um, you know, it's, it's certainly unfortunate, um, you know, for all the guys, you know, that were affected by it in the, you know, in the ECHL and whatnot, so... You know, anything, anything, you know, that people would donate, you know, would, would certainly help. I mean, I know it's a tough time for everybody and, um, you know, it's, it's certainly tough for all the teams in the, in the, uh, you know, ECHL with a lot of players that they had to, had to let go and not pay. I mean, you know, anything, anything truly helps and, you know, it's out of the kindness of your heart. So we're very appreciative of it. Yeah. Anything else you want to say to our listeners on three, in three countries in two different continents? Oh boy, man! Just stay safe and you know stay healthy, and hopefully this uh, this whole pandemic ends pretty quick here. All right, Wes Lancaster, the Allen Americans. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for.